you probably know this. Those guys? You probably know Episode 8 of the, I guess, as-yet-unnamed podcast. Can you name all eight? Let's see. Matchbox 20. That's an easy one to remember. Un- un- unforgettable. Garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Not as enthusiastic. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you talking about Matchbox 20, or is there... Oh, there was a band called Garbage. Was the yes, second okay. one. <laughs> Do recall that one. The third one sticks. Let's see... Well, we got four. Uh, I don't know, man. Pearl Jam? Ooh, Pearl Jam, yeah. Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam. Uh, what'd you do after Sticks? I think we went Willie Nelson. That sounds right. And Jane's Addiction. Uh, and then last time was Kiss. Ah, uh, yes. It's uh, good stuff. And was good uh, stuff. since then, we started looking on Wikipedia, and you were talking last time about how Kiss was uh, such a big business band and really honest about it. And uh, I think it's worth sharing to our listeners that uh, Kiss like publishes the amount of uh, seats that are sold in their venues and how many like how many seats were available in the venues. So if you go to Wikipedia and look at the various tours, uh, it was it was enlightening to see that like you think of these big bands and they're always playing like stadiums. I don't know. I, I always thought like at least twenty thousand people or something. Sometimes they're playing a stadium that can fit. 20,000 and they even know right off the bat we're just going to sell 10,000 tickets like that's the limit that's what we're going to do I've, I've noticed because uh, uh, there are a lot of bands who have that data on their website oh really uh, well not a, not a lot but like Metallica does for a lot of their tours that same data is there that's crazy um, and it is interesting to see like you know the American Airlines Center in Dallas holds 20,000 people a show will play there it's quote sold out and you look at the attendance and it's like 11,000 Right. And, you know, part of it's because the stage is pushed so far forward. There's a lot of empty seats behind. Sure. Um, I saw Rush there one time, and they curtained off part of the upper section. The right. Smashing Pumpkins curtained off the entire upper section. <laughs> uh, so it was just like the floor and the lower level, which was full. Yeah. Um, and my, I think my tickets were actually for the upper level, and, like, they moved me down one level because they, they shut Good. the upper level off. So okay, they'll do things to make it look full. Right, yeah, some tricks. But but uh, one the of the most one of the most one of the most accurate is Metallica because they set up their stage in the middle, so they have seats. They're a you know three hundred and sixty degree. Oh, okay. Uh, view. So their their numbers are always a little bit bigger than some of the others. Interesting. That's crazy. But yeah, it was also crazy to see. Uh, you know, like there were some some tours where their interest in them was waning, right? Um, but also just to see, like you know, there's only so many stadiums and only so many. I guess I would say big markets. Big mm-hmm. cities. If you look in the United States, right, you got Chicago, I don't know, Indianapolis, you know, Cleveland or whatever. There, there's mm-hmm. 20 really big metropolises, and there's a lot of space between them. So somebody yeah. goes and hits, you know, like a smaller ma- market, like in Alabama or something, or Mississippi, or uh, I don't know, Oklahoma, Montana, you know, Illinois, that's not Chicago. There's something between Chicago and uh, Minneapolis. And They'll be playing a twelve thousand seater, fully packed, and then in that smaller market, it's a thousand. 
Yeah. I, um, I start, I might, I've, I've done some things where I've followed a band on a few shows on a tour. Man, I might start yeah. looking at some of those big bands and seeing like if they'll smell, play some small markets, like that's the show to go to, man. It, it is. There was a, an interesting thing to, to wrap up the KISS conversation that I looked at after the fact. Well, sure. two, two funny things that happened. One was um, one of those tours that I sent you where they had all the data up there. It was one of their really just low points of sure. their career. Right. And I found a news clip um, of um, a show from that tour. And it was in, um, you know, maybe Worcester, Massachusetts, I think. But they were talking about how their show the previous night in Providence had been canceled just due to lack of ticket sales. And they asked the band about having shows canceled. And Paul Stanley very, very openly was like, well, part of it's just our diminishing interest. <laughs> like, we just, part of it is we just, um, you know, we're, people are not as interested in us as they used to be. And right. that's why we're not selling tickets. <laughs> like that's, that was, I've never heard an artist answer, um, you know, so honestly. The other thing was there was a point in the late eighties, uh, where I looked at one of their tours and like, they played nine cities in Texas. Holy shit. And you, and I, you couldn't guess them. Like you, you would guess Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Houston. You wouldn't guess the others. Like, it's just, they played everywhere. Um, on some of these tours where, yeah, they'd play Dallas and sell 15,000 tickets. And then two nights later, they're in San Angelo at the rodeo <laughs> arena. Man. That was, a, they were, they, they were known cause I lived like, in San like Angelo the equivalent of, uh, you know, Billy Bob's keeps coming up, right? The equivalent well, of like yeah. Billy Bob's size, but like, that's the best that the, that market could support for a major for, band coming through. Well, for a long time, so back in the early 2000s, um, I think it was, uh, I think 311 came to play San Angelo. Okay. And its claim to fame was it was by far the largest band to play San Angelo since Kiss in 1984. <laughs> I so. don't know if they like, if that's in their marketing material. You know, I, I've seen that uh, <laughs> I, I was recently looking at uh, another band. I, I was recently looking at something, and some of these bands make like EPKs, electronic press press kits. Okay, yeah. So like like there was one for the Deftones. This one's been in the height of their career in two thousand, and it was like this weird. They made a film that was like a long extended music video. That's not a music video. That was just a showcase like this this album. It was like the band playing live wow. in between this weird, and mm-hmm. I just don't think three elevens. Uh, you know, EPKs that they're putting out these days are like, hey, you know what? Uh, we're as big as Kiss in 1984 in San Angelo, Texas. I don't know if it comes up. Exactly. You know? They don't. They don't. They don't put that. They probably didn't even sell that venue out. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where San Angelo, right. San Angelo citizens, they know that fact. They know that, and they're pretty oh, yeah. proud of it. You know, they got banners around. Man. <laughs> because they'll have the occasional country act come through town, yeah. uh, but no, for a rock band uh, to come play that town, uh, just not not an everyday occurrence. So they were very proud of the fact that Kiss came through. And then uh, thirty years later, three eleven. Three eleven. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of uh, out of date bands, this is episode eight. <laughs> Today we're going to do Tool. 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 So tell me about Tool, Jeremy. This is one of the ones from my list, right? This is, I am a huge fan. I realized, I realized what a big fan I am when I was rattling off the, the little notes to myself here uh, mm-hmm. a week ago or so. I, I, yeah. I know quite a bit about them. I think I'm not as big of a fan now anymore, but um, tell me, tell me what you know about Tool. Tell me your experience. Was your, was your big brother into them? 
No, no. Tool was probably, uh, you know, Tool got popular kind of after he was uh, up and out of the house. So, right. Because uh, uh, my, my thought is they probably hit their stride early 2000s or late 90s. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of when they, they got big. Right. Um, I knew them. My, 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 initial, my, my first introduction to Tool, um, probably around high school, probably you, you might have played Tool. Uh, probably. Or, or Connor, I bet, might have. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very possible because right. there are definitely some songs that you sent me that I recognized. Right. Um, I've never been a huge fan, but they're very known to me just because they're known to be kind of, kind of crazy. Like uh, you know, they're they're pretty unique. Um, I think of them as like a, um, you know, like a like Rush, except they take themselves incredibly seriously. <laughs> That's a great. So like rush, rush, rush without the like heavy metal rush, but without the sense of humor. Right, um, which is funny. You know, because the guy, the guys from Rush are just so aware of who they are. Right. And Tool probably is too, but Tool is way more interested in keeping it that way. You know, they they are, right. they take themselves quite seriously, from what I can gather from the music alone. Right. It's it's funny you mentioned that. I think that's a good a good intro because they actually do have a lot of humor, but the humor kind of cut as soon as they became very serious. They, they, the mm-hmm. last three albums, which to be fair, that's like a, you know, two decades spanning time period have been very, very serious. And so the humor for the most part is, is gone. Whereas before that there was, you know, um, there was a song called like Maynard's Dick, for example, <laughs> there, there was a song that was like just somebody trying to get through the um, L.A. I think D.M.V. line set to this like mm-hmm. dirging, uh, heavy music of just somebody like jamming the tones on the uh, on the phone, trying to get the damn yeah. you know operator on the phone. Uh, they they have a song on uh, there. What I think I would say is their biggest record is called Inema. Um, the song is the uh, Ire von Satan. And it's this real like Hitler uh, rally sounding thing where uh, the singer is singing in German and he's he's singing or he's he's I guess he's giving more like a speech, like a Hitler style speech. It sounds really ominous and like crazy and like a, you know, war cry or something. And he's reading the uh, ingredients to a cookie baking recipe. So <laughs> see, okay, see, there's a obviously there's a very dark sense of humor, right? Exactly, uh, right. Know, clearly, definitely. Um, I definitely think of uh, Maynard as a man obsessed with penises. Um, that's <laughs> something that I've kind of always known about him. Um, there's, from what I recall, like there's some he's got something with nudity, maybe, or maybe he just gets naked on stage sometimes. Um, you know, I. So that that's that's something that's always been in my mind about Tool is that they just, I mean, they're performers every bit as much as they are musicians. Absolutely, and they're known um, for the performance, a hundred percent. Like yes, now it's it's one of those things where um, we talked earlier about Metallica and Pink Floyd having the wall or whatever of of video, and these guys are close to it. Maybe they don't have that exact same you know video screen mm-hmm. that's the length of a football field or whatever. But they are known for their um, yeah their visuals, and I think you put it well. Sort of the rush, sort of prog, like um, sort of a heavy metal kind of jam band almost, where they just kind of have these really long songs. A lot of them now yeah. are you know ten minutes. I was uh, when I made you the playlist, where I put a lot of songs on there that 
I don't know if I did play you stuff or not, but some of them you cannot escape. Like one of them is 46 and two. That yeah, is like, I, I listened to that. Right. Yeah. That was the song. That one, the other one you might know is sober, which was from their, uh, mm-hmm. their first like real album that uh, they had a yeah. live album they recorded first. And the second one was like, you know, like a studio album that had sober on it. And, yeah, I think Prison Sex is another song. I don't, I, I, I don't listen to that record very much, so I'm not extremely familiar, um, which is probably heresy for a lot of Tool fans. Um, but they, uh, even even Forty Six and Two, like a six minute song, man. And I don't know if you listen to uh, the the title track Anima off of that record. I'm not sure if I'm saying yeah. that record's name right it looks like it's a weird spelling of enema which is also you know yes. not uh, it's a little tongue in cheek um mm-hmm. that one is the one where it's like you know uh the, you know praying for tidal waves hoping that like the uh the earthquake comes and takes everybody in la away or whatever it's also a six minute song it's a funny yeah. song about somebody hating sort of all the hipsters and posers and just all of these people that kind of make up LA. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's like you said, dark humor, but it's, yeah, it's again, it's a six minute song. You don't hear that one on radio quite as much. And it was a single. And it's just like, you can play three songs in the moment that this, you know, the amount of time this one comes. So it's not really surprising that uh, sort of on their third record, they really started to where it's like, it's, it's eight and nine and 10 minute, 12 minute songs with these little segs between that. If you look on, you know, the track listing and the times, there's like these little 20 second bridges basically between the tracks and stuff. But yeah. everything for a while has been super, like you said, um, I guess serious. I sort of, I characterize them as like philosophical, uh, hard rock, like prog or something that they're, yeah. it's become this sort of transcendent, almost tribal, kind of thing you know the guitar isn't um isn't ex you know isn't extremely interesting the way that he plays or something but he's like an effects guy you know it's, it's very much like the edge right from yeah. you too if you ever see the edge play you're like wait he's not moving his hand, left hand at all right he's he's got two chords or three chords for the whole song and he's just got tons of effects that he's changing up and stuff yeah. and this guy is very similar yeah, that that's that's another thing about Tool is that to me it's not really much about the musicianship, um, right? Not that they're bad musicians, right? But there's no theme. It's not like they have this wailing lead guitar player. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, you don't hear that stuff. Um, the bass seems to be a really big part of it. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of Tool songs that I would listen to, and some of them are just pretty interchangeable. It's, right. Absolutely. Uh, for a real yeah, Tool there, fan, they might a, be mad at that. But uh, you know, it's like Metallica and a lot of the bands we like. It, there's a yeah. Tool sound, right? There's a Tool song. Oh yeah. And I oh, think yeah, that. No. Well, that was the other thing because I, I listened to like the first. I listened to a couple of songs from the first album, and then I, I listened to a couple of songs from the most recent album, and they, they're really not that different. Right. It's just the length of the song, maybe sort of mm-hmm. the, the themes might be a little bit uh, less on the nose or whatnot. But yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I think that's fair. Because I, I, so when they came out with their newest album, um, I thought about going to see them just because they're pretty legendary. My son kind of wants to see them too. So I thought about going to see Tool. <laughs> and then you saw and... the ticket price? No, that wasn't it. Uh, probably before I even did that, I just looked at their set list and I saw the first song, and I think it's the first song off their most recent album. Sure. And I saw that, and I said, "Okay, let's listen to how the show starts." And I mean, the song takes like eight minutes just to get going. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I, I just, I just, I bailed on the idea of going to see them 
right. about two minutes of hearing that. Song. <laughs> I, was like, I, I don't know that I could do this. Yeah, man. Uh, like just, Tom Petty and Fleetwood Back, it is not. Uh, they, they they have a great cover on this. Uh, I had to send you the YouTube video because they haven't released mm-hmm. it on Spotify of No Quarter by Zeppelin. Okay, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think that that is... When I listen to that song in particular, I think that what, like, at least Tool since that third album onward is that cover of No Quarter and, and basically that sound of uh, Zeppelin, like, more or less, like, that's what they do. Take that song, yeah. that dreary, drippy, weird, dark, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like, it's it's like a journey, a mental kind of journey thing. It's got... Yeah. You know, and maybe it's got a really dark theme to it, lyrically or whatnot. Maybe it doesn't, but it uh, it's really about the journey and not the you know the pop uh, pop length or the pop structure to the song, um, which is cool. I mean, it's, it's a cool band that's really like I guess evolved. They started off as like an alt rock band, and I think early '90s. Mm-hmm. maybe mid 90s they were on one of the first Lollapaloozas or second or third which puts them in like 92 93 oh, yeah. um there's there's a famous picture out there of this really skinny maynard uh sitting down there and he's kind of squatting down and he's sitting by the primus singer and uh lane staley of alice in chains there aren't uh explicit drugs in hands but there there had <laughs> to be some drugs around yeah um so yeah, I think that uh, I think that's a good place to begin. Is like they they came out that they, they had a live album. Uh, I guess first of all, they're an LA band. They're uh, really closely linked to um, to Rage Against the Machine. Um, Adam Jones, the guitarist of uh, Tool, went to high school with Tom Morello of uh, Rage Against the Machine fame. Okay, uh, right. they both moved to LA and were roommates. Uh, Maynard was a uh, an Ohio boy. Let's see, I got a couple of notes here because what's interesting is these guys are all Midwestern. Maynard grew up in Ohio. Adam drew, grew up in Illinois. Uh, Danny, the drummer, with like famously like this huge drum kit, who's like hailed as like maybe a top ten drummer of all time. You're not going to get that from Maynard. You're not going to get that for Adam. You're not going to get that for the bassist. But this guy is a crazy drummer. His name's Danny Carey. He's okay. from Kansas. Right, I mean, these are these are just kind of regular, you know, hardworking yeah. dudes. Um, and then the bassist is from London, uh, but he's the second bassist they've had. Uh, they they had a bassist. They made the first record after the live album, where they actually recorded a record, uh, and that guy split. Uh, and so they kind of went and got another band, and his name or another uh, bassist, and his name is uh, Justin Chancellor. And uh, like you said, there's a there's a tool sound and some of it is really heavy, like on the bass. There's a lot of stuff yeah. where it's just the bass, you know, 46 and two in particular, like yeah. right off the ba- right off the bat, it takes a little while for the guitar to come in where it's kind of like, it's, it's, you know, almost uh, just sound effects. Right. I the, think that was, I think that was one of the other ones that it took it about five minutes yeah. to, uh, to kick in there. <laughs> right. To really <laughs> peak and get it's a going. Long, it's a long journey. <laughs> right. I, I feel like tool it's to me it's hard to listen to tool like in a vacuum like if you're going to listen to tool right. you got to get really into tool 
Uh, yeah. Like, you can't just passively listen while you're vacuuming the house. Like, right, you exactly. You really immerse yourself. Right. And you probably should just listen to an album. Exactly. It is definitely album. I, I think I think that even when you're talking about the second record, Anima, that is, like, pretty mm-hmm. pop-structured, 46 and 2 comes off of it. There are a lot of yeah. songs that kind of can stand on their own that are around the five-minute mark, maybe even less than mm-hmm. that or whatever. Uh, but it is. All of the records are a journey. And Undertow, the first uh, studio record, um, I, in my opinion, not so much. It just sounds kind of like an alt rock, sort of hard, heavy rock, rock record. I okay. if I if you had to throw that one in with like an Allison Chains record and a Soundgarden record and stuff, aside from his voice being different, I would be a little bit like you know at a loss to say which songs came from which. If you took the uh-huh. you know took the singers out, it would be very similar. And then I'm not sure exactly what happened, but they became almost like a little bit psychedelic. Right on that th- second record, Anima, like in particular, closes with this song that's called Third Eye that I think is the template. Like, that it, it's almost a copy of the no quarter, you know, th- uh, format. That it's just yeah. this awesome, epic journey, much like all the rest of the songs after that wound up being on the rest of the records. And I'm not sure, I, I really don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess, more of a fan than I thought I was. Um, but it seems like basically the navel gazing kind of started after that. I think it's. You know, I really think that uh, Lateralis is their is their um, the record where they really started. That sort of long, the whole record almost end to end is almost one song. The way it's all mixed together and whatnot, and these little interludes I mentioned, they're very short. They kind of set yeah. up the next nine minute or ten minute song to go. I feel like it's OK Computer. Uh, if you're familiar with that, yeah. where it's kind of oh, like yeah. Radiohead uh, yeah. was kind of like pretty pop, and then they, they they did okay with their first record, and the second record came out, and they started getting really big, and then they and then OK Computer, right, which which actually took them even bigger for a certain audience and made them like rock gods, and the same thing happened with this third one called Lateralis, which it has the title track of that one nine fucking minutes or something, man, yeah. and it was on yeah. the radio, and you might have even heard it, you probably have, it's crazy, I've heard it. Yeah, um, and and that so there's there's something else, and you know, Radiohead good comparison because I feel like they both just take themselves really seriously. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. And I I feel like neither one of them have a producer in their ear telling them <laughs> this is what you need to do. Like, right. Uh, they're they're definitely doing their own thing. Right. Um, well, and they they famously just now took you know supposedly twelve years to make this new record right that came out last year. Right. And it's not true. You know, um, there's a lot that went into that, which is mostly lawsuits, honestly, which is a bit of drama. (laughs) It sucks. Like they they got sued by like a label. Let me think. I wrote this down. First record company called them in breach of contract when they went looking for other record companies. Like as in, I don't think they even signed anything. And it was like they were just like courting or looking around. And like, you know, like Nine Inch Nails did that. Nine Inch Nails was signed to several records with this like really shitty record company. Pretty Hate Machine does pretty good. And he's like, he's like suicidal over like his career trajectory because the the record label dude is like, I don't really like this. Can you make something else? Like, this is not that great, you know, or whatever and stuff. And and Trent Reznor is just kind of like, I want to do what I want. Um, and Jimmy uh, Iovine or Eovine, Eovine yeah. from uh, yeah. from Interscope, Nine Inch Nails was like the second or third band they signed, and he was like, "Yeah, man, I'll pay that guy off. I'll, you know, we'll yeah. we'll fix this, and you go do what you want to do." Right? I wonder if that's the same thing with Tool, where like they got enough momentum 
um, after that second record. Okay, let's just get the names of them right. We got Opiate, which is this live record that they did. We got Undertow, which is the second record, the one that I'm not a huge fan of. It's more kind of just straightforward pop, uh, heavy rock. Uh Uh, Inema is the third one. Lateralis is the fourth one. That one came out around 2000. Inema was 96. Uh, Undertow, I don't know, 93, 94. Uh, the, the another one, next one to that was 10,000 days. That took about five years to come out. That's 2005. And then obviously the newest one is fear inoculum, uh, that came out last year in 2019. So that's like a 14 year gap there. But, um, so they're not, they're not very prolific. Like, no, they're not. And, and, and here's why, right? So they get sued by that record company. Uh, then they get sued by the guy who made the really cool artwork for the Inema record because they used it as promotional material. So he made them a bunch of art to go into the record, right? And I guess it's just a guy trying to get rich. I'm not sure what happened. I think he was actually sort of a friend of theirs or whatever. And yeah. he sues them and says, you're not licensed to use this on, I don't know, like magazine ads for the for the record, right? The show's album yeah. cover or some variant of it, right? They use all the visuals from a lot of the records in their concerts and all this kind of stuff. And he like sues them on a breach of contract thing and i think it actually maybe it wasn't Inema. maybe he did do the art for Inema, but the actually now that i think about it their very first that live record that's called opiate the artwork is now different for it so maybe that's the one but yeah. so is Inema. if you go and buy the Inema record now it doesn't have the first the same cover art so maybe it's the same guy for both but that sucks yeah. right so that's a long drawn out thing um there was something else where they had like lawsuit insurance or some kind of shit right and so this this guy is suing them for the artwork and then the company that had insurance for them also tried to sue them like that they had like technically done the wrong i don't know dude so this is like a huge like just rock band and it's kind of like pearl jam with the Ticketmaster thing we're just like they, they just went off the radar for a long time and they weren't they yeah. weren't off the radar this is a band we were talking about like kiss and you know how they would play seven ba- seven shows in Texas. Tool is a band yeah. that for a long time has played two to maybe five shows a year. Um, th- this tour that they did now is was pretty big or whatever. They will do, yeah, like you know Red Rocks or something like just an amazing amazing show. And the tickets cost three hundred dollars like starting. Yeah, and, and people pay them, and it's tons and tons of people. Sure. The. Uh, I'm not sure about the other guys. Maynard is pretty idiosyncratic, you know, um, a little, uh, I think I wrote the right word, like neurotic. Um, And so I don't think he really likes performing. I I don't know if you've heard about his wine stuff, or is that not true? His wine stuff? He he makes wine? No, I didn't know that. Okay. So... (laughs) Do you know of any rock stars who do have, like, labeled wine or restaurants or anything? Uh, you know, I, I, I can't say that I do. Um, I, I, I think Lars Ulrich probably enjoys a nice expensive bottle of wine every now and then. Sure. Uh, there's definitely, uh, I don't know of any that have their own private label wine. Okay. But, but there's stuff like maybe you've heard of like Margaritaville, which is like, oh yeah, that's Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy. Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. And I think Alice Cooper has some kind of like, uh, literally, I think it's a hot dog joint in Phoenix or something. You know, these guys like put their money into stuff. Maynard, uh, there's other artists too. Like I think even Les Claypool Primus has like a, you know, basically a white labeled wine that has his name on it. I don't know how much work he does into it, but Maynard like actually does the work. Like he went, he got, 
got fed up with LA and left and went to uh, the Phoenix desert a little bit, or actually the mountains a little bit north of uh, Phoenix uh, in a little town called Jerome. And he got a plot of land there and started growing grapes and took about 10 years, which is about the process, uh, yeah. the, the usual to make wine. And these wine bottles cost $60 a bottle and it's, it's really good. I don't know if it's great for $60 or not, but it's, really great and this guy literally puts his hands in the dirt and does does the work he wow. uh there's a cool pro- there's a cool documentary they made about it and stuff and like he's just a you know I don't, I don't know i don't know if he's like an ohio cornfield kind of kid like you know really what his his background was as a kid or whatever but he yeah he enjoys getting back to nature and stuff and i think that follows from the you know somebody who is who's a rock star who's shying away from an extremely introverted who shies away right. from you know, the fame and all that kind of stuff or whatever. The three shows a year makes sense. And then at the same time, I mean, who wants to be on a smelly bus going to 3,000 people venues for a whole year when you can do it, you know, four times, right? Well, that's, I've heard REM say the same thing one time that they didn't want to tour after an album. So they just did like some promotional shows. Right. And that's it. But one of the, I think Mike Mills said like in a band meeting, he's like, I don't want to end my year in some arena with 5,000 empty seats in the middle of Iowa. Right. Like, that's exactly. just not what I want to do. Right. So, yep. um, you know, I, and, and I, that doesn't surprise me. I didn't know that about them. Right. Uh, that they didn't really tour like, like normal bands do. Right. Um, because I've always heard such great things about their shows. Like I've always been told like, you got to see the show. You got to see the show. Right. Exactly. And that's crazy that they don't, they don't necessarily exploit that. No. Other than this year, they were about to do this big tour. I don't know if they got through with it or not before the world shut down, but, um, (laughs) right. They, this, I, I didn't know that was so unusual. Right. I've always just heard their, their show is really amazing and you got to see it. And so I just assumed that meant they toured all the time. Right. Yeah. Not actually true. So, one thing, uh, I saw them on the Lateralis tour, I think, and one thing that sucks about them, um, and this is just like a whole meme for Tool in general, is the fans are awful. So you have a mix <laughs> of these like hard rock fans who yeah. who necess- aren't necessarily there for like a psychedelic jam, you know, yeah. or whatnot, mixed with people who are there for psychedelic jam. So it's like the entire spectrum of idiots and assholes and jerks. You don't you you go to the 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 show and any of the songs are sort of pop structured like forty six and two. You don't hear Maynard at all. You don't even hear most of the music because there's a bunch of drunk dudes just singing it and stuff. It's yeah. it's fucking awful, especially for like a crazy ticket for a really cool visual thing. Uh, they're they're really famously sort of like the band is not necessarily in big spotlights and stuff. They're not showmen. They're just kind of up there playing music and the yeah. visuals behind them are incredible. Right. right, which is, you know, I think that's a fair way to present the the uh, any kind of band because it's kind of boring just watching some guys unless he's really a great performer or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just some dudes up there messing around, with, uh, you know, pedals and uh, you know different microphones and whatnot. So, okay, uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I didn't know anything about their show. I just knew people say it's. It's right. amazing. It's definitely worth checking out on YouTube. I, any of the any any show in the last 10 years at least has been just incredible. And I think part of that is that they starting with Lateralis onward, they have uh there's this artist who's like this great like sort of uh psychedelic uh looking artist who's done all of the album covers uh since then and the art inside and does a lot of the artwork for the um 
for the show for the visuals and stuff his name's alex gray and he's got a great instagram that you can see like it's oh man this is all the tool art like they just took some selections from this guy right it's really really yeah. cool looking um and so they've got you know i don't know i've always been curious about how these visuals come about right for these bands it's like mm-hmm. it seems like that is much as much of the work if not more for prepping for the tour than yeah. you know it, it's it's elaborate it's a three hour or two hour music video of crazy different stuff that like some of it loops a little but man it is it's wild, and now it's now it's super duper HD, like ready for those football screens. You know, it's yeah. it's incredible. So it's like it's like when they did the projections. Uh, Roger Waters did the projections onto the wall, right? Uh, this first time, and he was like, "This is what it should have looked like in 1980, but there was right. no technology. Right and now exactly. that he can do it, and then he realized he can put it on a football field, and it's twice as big, and the projections are still just as clear. Yeah, man. Um, that's another reason that I'm like, man, why don't they tour more? Like they this they're, they're tailor made. Yeah. Uh, for the era that we are in now. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it just they like, they don't want to. They're they're doing yeah. they're all doing fine. And I think sure. that like part of it also is their backgrounds. Like I can't speak to Danny and I can't the drummer and I can't speak to Justin the bassist, but like Adam Jones, like before they made it big and around the time they made it big, he's a special effects artist. If you yeah. look at any of their videos, he like does a lot of like claymation and stuff that's insane. That like looks like it's real people. He worked on Jurassic Park, Terminator Two, and Predator Two and a whole bunch of other like major movies doing graphic uh uh you know visual effects i don't think it's even graphics i think it's actually claymation and modeling and stuff like this is a this dude is like accomplished outside of this and you know maynard is uh too with the wine obviously um i I do not know a lot about the other two i know that the drummer danny carey has definitely been very prolific on like you know he'll he'll drum on different band uh different albums once in a while usually seems like track to track rather than a full album but he'll guess on a lot of stuff this is a very prolific set of characters they i've got a whole section here that i can just read off to you on like all the ways these guys intermix but but getting back to wait can you answer one question yeah definitely are they friends with the chili peppers i don't know i would not think so they don't seem the same, but they are both Los Angeles bands. Exactly. And so is Jane's and Addiction. I, I, I feel like those circles are, and Guns and Roses, like right. they are all just so intertwined. Right. They have to be friends. They gotta be. Well, so Tom Morello and Brad Wilk, when they were forming mm-hmm. Rage Against the Machine, they considered two singers. One of them was Maynard, one of them was Zach De La Rocha. <laughs> see see these bands are really really close the the opiate record has this funny part where between songs uh maynard screams out he's like hey get that bob marley looking motherfucker out of my crowd get him out of here and he's talking about zach de la rocha who's in the crowd <laughs> going crazy or whatever this is a band that like those two bands kind of came up together i think they were on the same Lollapalooza together too uh, yeah. They're 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 pretty much inseparable. And I think that it's a good comparison. You know, Rage Against the Machine has its sound. Tool has its sound. Um, Rage Against the Machine is very philo- philosophical, but very extremely on the nose political, right? Yeah. Um, sort of anti-capitalism. You know, borderline anarchy. Um, you know, yeah. civil rights and stuff. And and Tool is like a little bit more far out, almost religious philo- philo- mm-hmm. philosophy. 
right? Uh, yes. One of Maynard's major messages that he'll say in interviews all the time is that, you know, he took some psychedelic drugs when he was, you know, younger, and he feels like the way to do it is to experience those things, to experience what your your body can feel like and what it goes through and what it is, and then spend your life trying to get back to that naturally, right? He's a big, like, sort of, uh, I think he's into, like, Tai Chi and, you know, all kinds of, like, Eastern religious kind of stuff and whatnot. Um, they're, you know, like, like, I think very much like Led Zeppelin, where I don't know how, like, occultish they are or whatever, but they definitely, you know, pay homage to those kinds of things. Um quite a bit and it, it Do, just kind of are they are they are they really like that or are they is this the image that they have to keep up like uh, right are they are they this weird like if you well, just hung like around if their just, house like are I, they this weird really right so i think the other guys are pretty practical but maynard is he's definitely really all about spirituality which is it's not it's not surprising uh he he comes from a religious background um he he went to the military when he was like, uh, I guess a teen, uh, he went to art school, then he moved to LA, uh, and he was doing, uh, you know, little projects. He didn't necessarily want to become a musician, uh, very similar to Perry Farrell of Jane's Addiction, like really, really similar story. And just like Perry Farrell, he had like a little band that put, I think they put an album out, maybe not, but it's called CAD, C-A-D, like AutoCAD or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. This band, they have a live performance on uh, YouTube that you can see. And he, he, this is not a good looking guy to to begin with, I guess, or whatever. But he's got like Birkenstocks on and stuff. And I feel like it's one of those things where when you see this, you can recognize that the anger in this person, it might have just been born in this moment. Just looking at this video, it's, it's, it's pretty embarrassing. But no, I mean, like, uh, but more seriously, like... He's he's got a interesting and sort of tragic backstory. Um, certainly, have you ever heard of a perfect circle? Okay, so, perfect circle is a side project um, that he did, and their song "Judith" is like the most famous song they did, and it's like basically "fuck your god." It's it's about somebody believing in in you know in Jesus or whatever and stuff. And even though they're sort of like having a lot of bad luck, they still are like, Oh, you know, Jesus saves and God's going to take care of me and stuff and whatever. Judith yeah. is the name of his mom who had an aneurysm when he was 11 and then was paralyzed. She was wheelchair bound for 28 years, which is about 10,000 days, which is what that record's named after. Okay, yeah. Uh, she died around the time, like I think almost on the day that the second A Perfect Circle record came out in 2003 or something. And he has a really great sort of follow-up song on the Tool record that's called uh, Wings for Marie. Then uh -huh. if you look at the lyrics, it is really, really good because he's talking about like basically uh, sort of religious church people kind of... Um, uh, what do you call it? Where it's sort of like paying, um, like like lip service, sort of lip service yeah, okay. to sort of the religion okay. and whatnot. But they're really like yeah. hypocrisy, you know. And they're all Judas and whatnot. And yeah. he, it's interesting because it's a good sort of other side of the coin where like it seems like he's matured when that song comes out because he's talking about how, you know, fuck all of those people actually. Like, mm -hmm. even all that happened to my mom and how, like, how tragic her life became from that moment on, she stuck with and was pious all of the time. 
you know, until the yeah. end. So I think that this is a person who, I mean, he obviously grew up religious. He grew up with a huge religious influence that he seems to be very angry about to some degree or used to be. And now, mm-hmm. you know, now he's in his mid fifties and he's definitely made peace with that over the years, yeah. but he can't, he can't resist still being the religious kid. Like, you know, like any classical atheist who used to be religion, they're sure. still, still very evangelistic about just that God doesn't exist instead of God yes. does exist. I, yeah. And I think that that's a fair characterization of him and his lyrics and stuff. And I think that, yeah, I think that I get the feeling that he has like a spiritual yearning that, you know, I can relate to that. I grew up religious and I have the same thing where like phil- philosophical things and things about like what the journey of life is and the meaning of life and whatnot that appeals to me because I grew up, mm-hmm. you know, hearing as a child that that is what's the most important thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the brand that I was brought up with just like Maynard doesn't, but, uh, you can't undo some of that. I think that even if you reject it, you still have these uh, under the covers kind of yearnings of like, yeah, what is what is existence about? What is the human experience, right? And uh, I think that a lot of the songs really kind of center around that. Um, but then at the same time, they have you know songs like uh, Prison Sex and <laughs> you know Maynard's Dick and whatnot. <laughs> so. Yeah, when we talk about uh, Pucifer. Right. Um, we'll have some some things to say about country, country <laughs> right, owner. Exactly. That's, so, that's gonna be so, uh, so yeah. So let's jump there. So that's part of it, right? Is like we're talking about these lawsuits happened. I think the first one happened right around Lateralis, right? Lateralis is, or no, a little bit before maybe, because Lateralis came out in two thousand three, maybe maybe not two thousand, but a perfect circle happened in two thousand. So Perfect Circle is Billy Howardell and Maynard and another sort an assortment of other characters who have been in and out or whatever. But it's Billy Howardell's yeah. project and Maynard basically lends his vocals to it. And at this point, it's kind of like both of them really just working together. It's very similar to Tool. They had a long hiatus between sort of their, their prolific stage of a couple of records and then put out another one recently that sort of like the Tool one, it's not really to my taste. I'm not really into it. But then Pucifer goes through this too. So an interesting thing, and like you mentioned, Pucifer. Pucifer is like I think where all the humor went. Yes. There's, there's three bands here. So there's Tool, and there's that I Am album that has a bunch of humor on it. It has some real pop structure songs, and it's starting yeah. to have these like really like psychedelic long no quarter songs. Mm-hmm. Lateralis continues long no quarter. A Perfect Circle is very pop structured alt rock. And Pucifer is just wacky, crazy, all over the map stuff that's basically Maynard's little personal project where he's fucking around. And some of it is extremely hilarious. And some of it also is still philosophical and stuff. But I would guess if you if you listen to a bunch of their stuff, even the more like philosophical and sort of I would say, um, you know, emotive kind of songs or whatever. Yeah. They, they, they're more like still like pop structured, like maybe perfect circle. I think that if I took Pucifer, they have three or four records that he's put out. I think you could take, you know, 
you could take about half of the records and make them into a hilarious comedy rock album. And you take the other half, and I think I can make a pretty good, if not maybe better than any Perfect Circle record there is, uh, collection <laughs> of about two or three songs off of each of those records. There's some really good stuff that a lot of it is in between there of these different, you know, uh, dives into relationships to the meaning of life and nature and all this kind of stuff that like really would not at all fit Tool and really doesn't quite fit a Perfect Circle. Um, so I, I guess for listeners, for, for context, Pucifer is Maynard's sort of side project. He went up to do the wine thing and, um, it, I feel like it kind of dovetailed out of a perfect circle. Um, I'll start there. Perfect circle is Billy Howardell. I mentioned that Billy Howardell is a guitar tech, right? So a guy who's like tuning up the guitars and, and fixing them up and making sure they're good on tour. Um, let's see, I got a list here of some minor bands that he did that for, for a while. Uh, so he's, he's Noel Gallagher. Noel Gallagher was a roadie. Was he really? For who? In Spiral, in Spiral Carpets. Okay. I've never heard, I had never heard of him before right. I knew this story, but right. that's, yeah, I guess that's a thing. Sometimes you're a guitar tech or a roadie and, right. uh, sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes fame is right, thrust upon you. Right. Sometimes, uh, right place, right time. Uh, yeah. F- Faith No More, a little band called Guns N' Roses, uh, oh, another smaller outfit, Nine Inch Nails. Okay, uh, tool, we've heard of this one. Fishbone, uh, you know, a, a little bit more popular guy, David Bowie, and also the guitar tech for the Pumpkins. So Howard L, wow. he was he was a dude. He was like sounds like the roadie, or one of the more popular ones, or you know whatever. I imagine, you know, based on his work ethic and stuff, I think that he's a he's a very serious dude, and and on the music yeah. too. So he approaches Maynard with some of these songs when Tool's on tour, and Maynard's like, I'd sing with some of that. Those songs are really really good. I mean, it's kind of a Foo Fighters kind of thing, right? Where Dave yeah. Grohl told or played Kurt some songs. He's like, those aren't Nirvana songs. You need to really put this out and make your own like band with this. Right. Um, And and that's what a perfect circle is. The first record, you know, uh, in my opinion, uh, aside from Judith, there's two or three tracks on there that I think are really great, great tracks. And they're Billy Howard, sort of like real sort of emotional, intimate songs that he made. And the rest of them, it honestly does. It sounds like Maynard was kind of fucking around and just put lyrics down on top of stuff that, you know, to some degree, some of them sound like really serious and some of them don't. One of them's called Thinking of You. And it sounds like he's yeah. grunting. And it's like, it sounds like it's basically to me probably a song about masturbation. Maybe philosophically, you could argue <laughs> it's about something else, but it's like, what is going on here, right? Compared to some of the other ones, are real, real sort of uh, deep kind of songs. So, uh, yeah. Let me do the roll call for a perfect circle. This is a, like extremely incestuous band with tons of other bands. Um, okay. They have had Jordy White, uh, which is the Marilyn Manson bassist, for several tours. Uh, Troy von Leumann, I can't really say that very right. He's a Queens of the Stone Age guitarist. Josh Fries is a guy I've mentioned to you before who is hilarious on any podcast you can find. He is. Um, I think he's currently Sting's drummer, but he's really, really prolific. Where Danny Carey okay. might be on a song or something, Josh Freese will do studio stuff for all kinds of people. Um, James E. Haw, the Smashing Pumpkins, is a current yep. member of Perfect Circle and has been for a while. Uh, Tim oh, Alexander, okay. who's the drummer for Primus. 
Uh, Danny Lohner kind of helped kick off the project, which he is one of the guys who uh, helped Trent Reznor make a lot of a lot of the Nine Inch Nails music. I think Trent like writes mm-hmm. the music, but he's always had a, a rotating cast of characters who really do the, you know, uh, what they call the programming, you know, sort of the sequencing yeah. and all the stuff of all the loops and whatnot. And Danny Lohner is an important figure here because he then got sort of contracted to make some soundtracks. And when he made those, he made a band called Rinholder, uh, which there's a song on a perfect circle called Rinholder. Uh, if you spell that backwards, that means it's uh, R E D Loner, like an email, like reply, to, you know, <laughs> okay. regarding Danny Loner. Uh, this yeah. band, Rinholder, was the the lead up to Pucifer. He had Maynard singing on a couple of these like really dark, like sort of alt rock songs on a couple of soundtracks. And then the first Pucifer record was, I don't know how much Danny had a hand in it or whatnot, uh, but the Pucifer record did have a couple of those songs on it, maybe in slightly different variant styles or whatnot. But that's kind of like the, the legacy there is that like, you know, Maynard does go off and do a perfect circle and does a couple of records with Billy Howardell, this guitar tech that they had on tour with them. Um, and in the meantime, there's other projects that kind of, kind of dovetailed into Pucifer. There was a project that uh, Danny and Trent Reznor from Nine Snails and Maynard worked on that was called uh, Tapeworm that they, they tried to do. They had two or three songs. Mm-hmm. One of the, that, that didn't go anywhere. One of them turned into a Perfect Circle song. It's really great called Passive. But I think that that's kind of like the genesis of the relationship that ultimately kind of uh, birth a little bit of perfect circle and a lot of Pucifer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're all of them are, I think Maynard has, I, I think i get the feeling that Maynard for Pucifer has a lot of input on the music. Um, yeah. whereas on the other ones, it really is. It seems like that the, um, at least from the interviews, it sounds, it seems like he's basically putting lyrics and singing over it. He's the last instrument, uh, that happens, which mm-hmm. is kind of an interesting style. And you can kind of, you can kind of hear it, I think, especially on the last record or maybe the last two records. You're kind of like, man, like, it doesn't seem like he's into it, I guess is what I would say. Like, he's just kind of putting some philosophical garbage, I would say, over the top of these tracks. And when you when you hear him interview about the music, he'll be very dismissive of like, ah, it took those guys just a long time to put things together. This one song, we had remnants of it, you know, eight years ago or something. And it's like, well... You know, this guy has been prolific and been doing all these little like Pucifer like jerk off records every year or two for the last decade. And in my opinion, none of them are consistent. Uh, Very white stripes, kind of like a great little bit of comedy, you know, buried between like Mm -hmm. something that's like, you know, drum and bass that then goes into alt rock and stuff. And it's a great compilation of randomness. But um, yeah, so... So, so you, you said you had a question about uh, Pucifer. I, I can't imagine. Uh, the, the song I sent you, I sent you one called The Humbling River, which I think is a really great track. It's sort of like the, the main premise is sort sure. of like that somebody uh, somebody can climb mountains and, and, and do all kinds of things on their own, but to get across a river requires more than one person because you need to maybe like hold hands in a chain. You need to do something where people, it takes more than one person to get across. And it's sort of a philosophical song. And then on the flip side, we have uh, well, Country Boner, which I don't... Well, I was going to say, they continued, they, they, they continued that philosophical discussion uh, with Country Boner. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's a real spinal tap quality to that. <laughs> right. um, and I, I did, when I saw it, I was like, 
so this is the humor. This is, it's like you said a minute ago, like that's where the humor went is into Pusifer. Right. Uh, cause that's right. not really what tool is at all. Um, right. It is interesting that rather than let tool go and, you know, several different directions, it's kind of like he right. said, no tool is going to be what it is. And it's right. Tool's not going to come out with some nice, well, like stripped down acoustic album. No, um, right. That would just, that, that would just, that would just, that would fucking, incredible. that would be another project. But, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. And the other guys don't seem to have side projects like this. Um, you know, they'll, they'll do one offs here and there with somebody else, but not like full on projects. Um, I don't know how much input he's got on like, this is how tool should sound now. You know, I, I, cause I, I do get the impression that the other three guys really put the music together and stuff. And you know, there's obviously, there's been interviews about like how demotivated they've been where it's like their, their whole project is basically on hold because of lawsuits for a long, long time, you know? Yeah. And I, it, it is what it is. These guys are in their fifties. They've been touring for a long, long time, you know? Um, Granted, maybe not as often as Sticks or Kiss or something, but um, you know the rock veterans, and uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the the they have the tool sound, and the sound did like you know sort of change, sort of like the OK Computer thing, right? But then after that, like, there's how many times can you do that, right? How many times can you keep on playing that same album and making that same album? And I, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, I'm not a fan of this latest one. And the last one, I'm like, I feel like it's kind of a toss-up, the 10,000 Days. Uh, Lateralis, I like quite a bit, but it came out, like, when we were in college, and I had a friend who was... I, I, I actually had Inema as a kid. I got it, like, those old Columbia Records, you know, get 12 CDs for $1 things or whatever. Um, and I got that in a, in, a, in a batch with others. I was like, this is a pretty great record. I like this, you know. Yeah. Uh, this 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 item a song about uh, you know the tidal wave coming and the earthquake you know making L A drop into the ocean all this crazy stuff I'm like this is pretty cool or whatever, um, and and then I had a roommate in college who was just way way into both of them and Rage Against the Machine and filled me in on all this trivia about them I guess you know um, and. And, and then Lateralis came out, which is something we were kind of both anticipating. And it's great. And I, but I think that I've listened to the Perfect Circle records, honestly, a lot more. It's very accessible, sort of alternative pop rock kind of stuff. And um, yeah, know, the, but, the Perfect Circle is a little know, bit. I've, I've got. Uh, I'm sorry. A Perfect Circle was a Perfect Circle was familiar to me because I. I worked at a radio station in the early 2000s, like 2000, 2001. And I remember a perfect circle okay. was coming on the scene, I guess, at that point. And we right, played right. a lot of the perfect circle. Like I, that was okay. a big band. I wasn't aware of current music enough to know that that was like an offshoot of tool. Um, right. Exactly. But what's one, one thing that you, you said about their last album and I, you know, how many times can you do the same kind of the same thing? They do have a sound right. that kind of transcends any time frame. Um, and I do think that, you know, if you look at, you know, I compare them to Rush. If you look at Rush, um, say in the, you know, 70s, it was kind of a harder, harder, you know, prog rock sound. And then in the 80s, like they totally changed with the 80s and they went full 80s. And there's a lot of like soft okay. keyboards and the heavy bass goes away and it's extremely 80s. And then they kind of came back around to the harder rock sound. It doesn't sound like Tool has ever bent to their time at all. 
Like they, right. they do what they do and it doesn't matter, um, you know, what's popular at the time. Uh, they, they don't, they really haven't changed what they've done for literally 30 years. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair characterization. And I mean, I guess it, you know, one thing that seems like they might understand that other bands don't is the doing two to three shows a year. Letting it, letting it breathe a little bit. And yeah, and the same thing with the records. I really do not expect these guys to put something else out, you know, in the next two or three years. There was, there was a joke when COVID started that Maynard was like, yeah, you know what? I think Tool's going to put an uh, EP out while this COVID thing's going on. And people are like, oh my God, COVID's going to last <laughs> 10 years? Oh no, yeah. you know, or whatever. But at the same time, I, okay. man, like these are, these are great records, right? I mean, yeah. What, okay, so tell me, the, talk to me about the dynamic in the band here. Sure. You said the other three you think maybe are more responsible for the actual sound than Maynard. Maynard is more of just a lyricist and a singer. Right, and that's what it sounds like. And I got the impression there's a bio about him out that's called A Union of Contrary Things. And it's like, it's more about like what his growing up years are like for the most part. But I get, the, I get the feeling it's kind of like we mentioned about the Jane's Addiction or Perry Farrell was kind of like, I'm an artist. I'm not necessarily like a musician first or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that he was visual artist as well. Like, I think he worked on like movie sets or something. Uh, I'm not okay. sure exactly. Um, and that was how he met Adam Jones, um, the guitarist and whatnot. And, I, and yeah, I, I get the impression that he's, he's like a singer and... I, I really just I don't know I I I got friends uh, fans I got friends who would be you know screaming at me right now of course Maynard this and this and this and this and this <laughs> and and then these guys this and this and the reason it's this way and then you know Justin Chancellor writes all the music so that's why it sounds this way or whatever I I don't know yeah. honestly I I do get the feeling that those three are really tight and that they they really work together to make music it's not these are professional musicians this is not like hey man i want a guitar solo in there you know or hey we need at least two tracks to start with the bass and really form and really um you know feature the bass mostly or something like that it's it's like it's like they're in service to the music yeah you said they've been in some lawsuits have they were they one of these bands that just signed a terrible deal when they were young and just they've been basically fighting that now for their entire career i don't know i don't know honestly i yeah let me put it this way i know that a perfect circle they did two records right and the first one did okay pretty good second one did like really not good then about two years later they on the same day released two records one of them was a covers of political songs they did a cover of imagine and the cover of uh, people are people and a cover of uh, what's yeah. going on and uh, man i and that has passive on it and it has some other songs that were actually sort of remixes uh i don't know if you might remember it depends on when you're in the radio but there was this song that came out that's sort of an anti-bush anti-war song called uh, counting bodies like sheep it was this real like nine nails sounding song Okay, I don't remember that. Okay, but, but that was that was like a, that at the time. That was a that was a remix of a song on the uh, on the second record. But anyway, these two records have come out. One of them is a remix record, and one of them is this, this record of covers. And then they're like putting it to bed. And when that happens, like two records in, and you're kind of like just you're done with everything. That to me sounds like a four four record deal where they're like, "Fuck it, we're like we're gonna you know 
what do you call it? Fulfill the contract and, and, and we're done. You know, right. I, yeah. I don't know really what all went into that. I don't know if Lucifer was starting around then or, or whatnot. You know, right after that, Billy Howardell, he put out a uh, solo record himself. It's called Ashes Divide. That I think it's really good to see. If, if, you, if you're like a big perfect circle person rather than a tool person, it's very interesting to see that even kind of, I guess, pardon the pun, divide into two things where it's like, Pucifer is this kind of a thing and Ashes Divide is this kind of a thing. You put them together and you get the perfect circle sound kind of, right? But really the perfect yeah. circle sound is, you know, Billy Howardell's music with Maynard singing on it, right? Um, right. So mm-hmm. it, it's almost like a, like a third or a fourth perfect circle record that he did on a, like his little solo record. I don't think it did very well either, but it, I, I got the vibe that like... Maybe there's a theme here of getting fucked by record contracts. Maybe I, I don't know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There, there. I mean, I assume. Listen, anyone if they were young in the late '80s signing a record contract, right, right, um, they're probably getting a bad deal, right? Definitely, right? Like they're they're getting a terrible deal, right? So, um, I and especially those Los Angeles bands. For some reason, they all seem to have it pretty rough, right? Uh, early on, and. So that doesn't surprise me. I mean, it, it, it sounds like a band that um, maybe they signed some bad deals, but, um, you know, they they sound like they're pretty intelligent. Like, yeah, they, sound they are. Like they are. Definitely. Um, yeah. Like, like not, thinking man's hard rock? Because it's more like it's yes. prog, man. And I've got some descriptions here because, like, it's one of those ones that's a little bit hard for me to classify. I feel like I'm out of my element when I try and classify yeah. them. And I think it's like what we said where it's kind of like it's the tool sound. Right. You know, Black Sabbath or, you know, Led Zeppelin or you don't, you know, it's like, this is how they Mm -hmm. sound. And like Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin is like, you know, the blues evolved, kind of pushed the blues and Jimi Hendrix a little bit together and some of the who or something. And then also just kind of a heavy element that's a little bit Black Sabbath or something, but it's still, it's just like, it's Zeppelin sound. It's, it's, you know, and and Tool's kind of similar, but I, I, let me... Let me let me roll through a little bit of this. I, some of it's copy pasted mm-hmm. from uh, from Wikipedia, but let's see. There's this guy Patrick Donovan uh, who calls it the Thinking Person's Metal Band: cerebral, <laughs> visceral, soft and heavy, melodic, abrasive, tender, brutal, familiar and strange, Western and Eastern, beautiful and ugly, taut, light yet sprawling and epic. They are a tangle of contradictions. I think that's pretty. That that's that's a great description of it. Um, another person re- yeah. reminds it, uh, um, uh, describes it as grinding, uh, post Jane's addiction, heavy metal, uh, which I think is okay. interesting. And 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 I think of them. To me, they're very Jane's addiction. To me, it's like Led Zeppelin meets Pink Floyd. But I'm not a Rush guy. Uh, a lot of people are comparing them here to King Crimson a lot. Which do you know that band? I don't know them at all. I, I do, but I'm not familiar enough with King Crimson okay. to pose as someone who knows really anything about them. Right. I, I look at Tool as like, like, yeah, sort of the Jane's Addiction, where it's kind of this mix mismatch of kind of whatever works, it seems like, to a certain point. And then they have their Comfortably Numb, right? They have Comfortably yeah. Numb hit, and everything after that is Comfortably Numb. Except for the thing is, is they're Comfortably Numb, which is Third Eye, the very last song and that other one. I think it's like, it's basically like Three Days, the Jane's Addiction song I always harp about mm-hmm. and say is one of the best songs of all time. I feel like yeah. they just liked that song a lot, or that style, 
and ran with it. You know, the, the no quarter yeah. sort of format. And they're like, this is, this is it. This is great. This is what we want to do. This is, and, and right. to be fair, like, I feel like there's a void that like, if tool didn't exist, like, you know, Metallica or somebody else could take this over and do this and become this like basically, you know, heavy rock kind of jam band. And it, it would work, you know, and what's weird is it's not, this has not been invaded. You know, there's a lot of bands that kind of sound kind of like tool a little bit and do like kind of a pop thing and then fizzle out. And they're just there. I feel like they're kind of one of the Led Zeppelins of our time. Right. Maybe, maybe that's what Metallica is. I feel like Metallica and Pearl Jam are more sort of between Zeppelin and uh, and like the who and Tool and OK Computer, uh, okay, Compu- Tool and, and Radiohead to me is like Pink Floyd, Zeppelin, Sabbath kind of stuff. Radiohead being obviously just much more Pink Floyd, random, just, you know, again, all yeah. for the music kind of navel gazing stuff. That's just like, it doesn't matter where it goes. It doesn't matter what genre it winds up being, you know, um, I, yeah, I think that uh, I, that's how I characterize it as, you know, sort of a, you know, prog Zeppelin with elements of Pink Floyd thing, you know, no quarter and comfortably numb. Just push those together and do them over and over again. Well, but the difference is, you know, Pink Floyd, I felt like always had David Gilmore to kind of soften it up and make it. Right. Um, I don't want to say listenable because that implies tool isn't listenable because they are. They're, they're very listenable. Right. Um, but just, but it, I, it doesn't I think sound it's fair like to tool has that. that. I think it's fair to qualify. Okay. I think they're very listenable if that's your thing. Right. If you can stand oh, a 10 sure. minute song, man, tool is a band to go to. If you can't stand a two minute, right. ten minute song, and like like you for example as a listener, you've said before like you like if you can get into the song within twenty or thirty seconds right at the beginning and stuff, and like this is a band that they just punish you, they they punish you if oh, you yeah. not listen for a long long time, oh, and like you, you said, you, you, you really have to earn it. Yeah, you have to struggle. Like there, are, for every record, there's maybe two or three songs. The ones that are these long prog records or whatever you want to call them. There's two or three songs maybe yeah. you can lift out of them and be like, check out this song, man. But really, it's like, no, yeah. like if you're going to like this, it's the album. It's the full thing through this big trip up and down, almost like Dark Side. A lot of it is very like, well, you can you can pull money out of Dark Side of the Moon. Mm-hmm. You can pull the great gig in the sky. I mean, you can. Mm-hmm. And people are like, I don't know. This sounds like kind of a gospel rock song. I, I, I don't get it, man. You're like, no, well... Well, you you didn't hear the whole album. We hear the whole album. You're like, Jesus, this is a thing. But you well, can't you can't is that cut why, it up, right? Do we? Like, I don't believe uh, there's a uh, there's a tool greatest hits album. No, correct. Definitely not. I don't think there will be. I mean, I just don't know. I just don't know how it would work because it's it's like how a Pink Floyd greatest hits album sounds really disjointed. Yes, um, absolutely. Because they've had right. they had they had a greatest hits I think called a collection of great dance songs. Right. Um, and it's just weird to have like time and then wish you were here right. and just on the same album. Like they just, you, you really need to absorb the whole album. Right. It's tough to just pick out individual tool songs. Right. Exactly. Um, they, they just, I, you, you it, need the context. Right. And I, I think that to be fair, like 46 and two and sober and stuff, those earlier ones are definitely like radio worthy. Like this is a song stands alone. Oh yeah. Like, 
Yeah. You know, it, it's it, 46 and 2 is like an intro to what the rest of it is. Like everything, if, if, if that's too long of a song, then, then you're sunk. Because, you know, Third Eye is one that like, it, it pays off. It's really great. It is very, very Led Zeppelin, like stairway format or something. But man... You, you got to be like, okay, I can't listen to this on the on the way home from the grocery store. It's got to be on the way home from Dallas after a great concert where I've got a 30-minute drive, you know. Um, right, yeah. right. Yeah, Tool is, um, you know, I I feel like they're very time and place. Right. Um, you, you've got to be in the right frame of mind Absolutely. to be listening to Tool. Yeah. Um, and, you know... The other thing about Tool that I've always been aware of is that there are no, like, half-assed Tool fans. Right. Definitely. Like, a Tool fan is a massive Tool right. fan. Right. And I think they it's are, I think it's because the... They're quite dedicated. I think it's because the barrier to entry is real fucking high. Like, you got to put some effort in. Yeah. And there's, like, there's that thing, right, where, like, you can sell a book for $1.99 on the Amazon store. And you can sell it for $6.99, and people will like it more. For whatever reason, there's a perceived value in it, right? right? And, right. and yeah. the Tool records are the same. We're like, I that first record, I turned out lights, I laid down, I took an edible, I prepared to take this, or sorry, this latest <laughs> record, prepared to take this trip, and I was expecting a little pop structure here and there, like the last couple of records were, and it's not. It is just punishingly, just twelve minute song after twelve minute song after twelve minute song, and when you're not familiar with it, you're just kind of like, I, I, I'm waiting for something that's really going to grab me. And personally speaking, nothing out of it has grabbed me. I've listened to it sober a bunch of times since, and I'm kind of like, ah, I could take it or leave it. I could definitely, <laughs> I, I could definitely put it on when I'm kind of like hanging out just with my stereo you know, blasting away. Like I probably would play when I'm hanging out with my dad, you know, some, uh, you know, we do like a record weekend thing every summer or whatever. And like we had one last year where it was like, we played like six Pink Floyd records in a row. You know, sometimes he plays me some like, yes. And, uh, God, I don't know. You know, it, it, it goes from yes to like, who's next to like Jethro Tull to all kinds of different stuff. And I could see sticking it on there, but like after I played the other two or three for him, you know, or whatever. Um, but it, it's it, it's like you said, you can't clean to it. You it, you could no. you could take a road trip, but it's like a road trip by yourself with nobody talking. Yeah. You know, you can listen to it on headphones by yourself, kind of in the dark, mm-hmm. having a drink or whatever. It, it, it's yep. it's it's extremely personal music. I don't think I could see it existing before sort of the personal you know headphone style of listening existed it was one of those records i never like like anima i never played it like loud in my house but i did listen to it on my cd player a lot and there's nothing that's offensive in it unless you really listen to and read some of the lyrics it's pretty like uh, he says the f word you know once in a while (laughs) country boner is not spelled with uh, uh, a o in the letter in the word, you know, I, but yes, I <laughs> noticed that as well. <laughs> but I mean, like, it's if you can get past curse words and whatever, it's not extremely interesting or, or uh, provocative or anything. It's, you know, uh, but it, I don't know. It's it's just tool. Although it's like you said, it's a thing. It's a time and a place. And I will say this: this new record came out in 2019, and there are some bands that are putting records out that, you know, they're like, yeah, this is, this is exactly the alt rock record from the nineties. It probably would have done great in the record in the, in the nineties and extremely dated. And there's something that to me feels a little timeless about tool. Even when they come out with something now, it's like, it's, 
if I can see, I've got some friends who are like, oh my God, this is it. Like this, I have been waiting for 14 years. It pays off in every single mm-hmm. possible way I thought it could. And I don't know if that's that same effect we were just talking about of like my level of involvement, my level of like thirst for this record has been so over the top for so long, you know? Yeah. I'm, I, there's, I'm sure there's something to that and there's something to the massive, uh, tool fan who is going to just, they're going to like, they're going to love right. it no matter what. Right. They're the tool could put out an album of dogs barking right. and it would get rubber stamped. Five well, and stars I think that, I think stuff, there's probably right? like, two Pussifer EPs that are just dogs barking. that have done pretty well. So I, that, that might, <laughs> that might be, you know, carried out by, uh, by just raw science at this point. He did like a Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. cover. For like Pucifer, like that was like an EP. It is exactly Bohemian Rhapsody. I feel like he pulled one of those uh, karaoke tracks and just did all of the mm-hmm. vocals himself. And it's like, I, I've heard like the No Quarter uh, cover by Tool is really good. And it's kind of in the, in, the, in the style of Tool. You know, and uh, the, yeah. the perfect circle covers of like imagined stuff. Like imagine is done real haunting style and real like dark and whatnot. And this Bohemian Rhapsody Pucifer mm-hmm. song is like, it's it's pitch perfect. Every single part of it that was sung by all the different people in the band and whatever and stuff. And it is the most boring shit I've ever heard in my life, man. It is. It's just like yeah. it, it is the biggest version of a cover I've ever heard in my life, where it made me understand what people say. Were like the original is better. Fuck this <laughs> or whatever. It it really is. Yeah. <clears throat> Can we, back to the beginning. Why did they uh, release a live album first? Did they have like a local following? Man, I'm noticing like, a theme. Were they like a like big I, Los Angeles band? I, I I'm noticing a theme. Like I uh, I've been reading a Primus book too, and they did the same thing, and Jane's mm-hmm. Addiction did the same thing, and like with both Jane's Addiction and Primus, like they specifically mentioned like putting up like three grand or five grand of their own money or something, you know, to uh, to to basically mm-hmm. mic up and set, you know throw something into a soundboard into a mixer you know, as best they could. Uh, and so like all of yeah. those bands, Primus, Jane's Addiction, Tool, uh, I don't know, is like Nirvana, I don't know about Bleach for Nirvana, but like I, at least those three I'm aware of, like, yeah, first records are these live records that like, it, like the Tool one in particular, I feel like it doesn't necessarily even sound like a live record until you get a couple of tracks in and you're like, oh wait, this yeah. is, they're talking, there's like some fans going or something, you know. Uh, I would. Mm-hmm. I don't know off the top of my head. I'm sure it's in that book, but I kind of skimmed through the book honestly. Um, I, I bet it's the same kind of thing. Like maybe it's off contract, not even whatever yet, and they recorded it themselves or something. But I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I to me that again the Rush comparison stands. I, I, you know, there's. Does it does it sound Rush like Rush to you? Because like the one I know like the the radio hits of Rush. I'm struggling no. to even think of the names. Tom Sawyer, I guess. It, it's not that it sounds. It's not that it sounds like Rush to me. But there's a similarity in that they just they really indulge. They indulge in whatever sound it is they're going for. Okay. Um, and and Rush indulges pretty deeply on you know solos and uh, weird complex songs. It's kind of a badge of honor if you're a guitar player and you can learn some of their songs because they're really really complicated. Okay. Um, but they tried to make their first two albums actually a little bit uh, mainstream and they didn't go anywhere. 
And so on the third album, they said, we're just going to go full rush and we're just going right. to like, we're going to indulge every, um, you know, every craving we have to make these songs longer and weirder, we're going to do it. And they did it. And that turned out to be Crazy. the breakout album. It sounds like tool. It sounds like tool just kind of started there by like, I, I it, I have a hard time envisioning this band playing clubs in Los Angeles, trying to develop like a local following. Like, man, they seem well, but they, like a band. But they didn't. Like, I hear the live shows are great, but yeah, but they didn't. They didn't. They were they were a straight up pop hard rock band. Like, just a. It was yeah. just Al's and Chains Part Three, in my personal opinion. When I listened yeah. to those, it was just another one of those. Oh, these guys come from Seattle too you know, or whatever kind of bands. Yeah. Um, and Itama did have 46 and 2 and stuff on it, which is kind of like the hint of this sort of proggy, more extended kind of a thing starting and whatnot. But like, man, there was those first two records, the, the the live record and the first two studio records, Itama and Undertow are really accessible. Like, I mean, there, I'm sure there are a lot of, yeah. a lot of fans that when Lateralis came out and was the first one that really had this like, you really got to sit down and be ready to spend an hour and a half listening to this record or whatever. I bet there are a lot of fans that were turned off there, like that they stopped, full stop. Well, and do then, you know what? And then, and what, then, and you, then probably checked out the next record and felt exactly the same, you know? Do you know what happened? Like, why why that change between those albums? Was it I do just not that know. they finally could do what they wanted to do or right because there's also a thing that happens where if you're if your first two albums have just enough success you'll go in for the third and they'll let you do whatever you want right you know and so for the first time this band gets to make the album that they really have always wanted to make interesting with rush it was just that they had yeah i'm not sure yeah you know, with rush you know, it, you know i but that's interesting did, that so did such rush a, like, to me in, just the the Sorry. Did Rush invent prog rock, or? Well, I think Rush and Yes. Uh, okay. The band Yes. I mean, I think they were there too, but. Okay. Rush, you know, the thing of the thing about Rush that I I don't know if it's true of Tool is Rush fully admits like, man, we are just three nerds. Like they love science fiction. Um, you know, they have these real mystical lyrics. Um, and and their musicianship is all like an eleven right. out of a ten scale. Like right, it is. You know that's what they do. They're super intricate songs and Tool. I don't know if personalities they're the same. It sounds like there's not. There's no eccentrics in Rush. You know, there's no. Right. There's no Maynard in Rush. Right, uh, right, for sure. He brings something to the table that's very, very different. Um, you know, but. I don't know. To me, it just seems like Tool takes that almost a step further. Right. Um, they added a much harder edge to it. You know, they added a kind of a metal edge to it. And I don't know if one of your descriptions was metal prog rock or metal rush or something like that. Right. And yeah, that's what they sound like to me. They sound like if Rush wanted to be a metal band. Right. Um, and, and Maynard also, his voice to me doesn't really... Like, he doesn't strike me as a lead singer at all. His voice does not sound like a lead singer voice to me. Right. Uh, although he sings he sings for three bands. Uh, but it works. But, uh, man, it's so specific. Like, it works for that kind of music. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and, like, I, I think that's a good sings, way of putting it. Because, like, I, I remember, like, I've seen, like, some Lollapalooza footage of them singing sort of the undertow songs. And they're like, yeah, he's, like, he's not a classical tra- a singer. 
right? He, his voice is not extremely no. pleasant, but it, like you said, it, it works. It's, it's, it, it works insofar as like Jane's Addiction and, you know, uh, Primus and a lot of these bands that apparently were very influential, uh, Pixies, on just saying, hey, we can blend all these different genres together and it's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. It doesn't have to be just punk or like if it's only stripped down, it counts. You know, it's like it's second wave yeah. punk, post punk or something, right? And, uh, you know, yeah. th- those sort of influences and whatnot, I guess, set a, set the stage for that kind of band, to, that kind of singer to exist, I think, right? I, it's, it's Iggy Pop, right? It's who comes to mind for me, mm-hmm. where it's like there's David Bowie, who's like a singer, right? And there's, you know, even Roger Waters, like uh, you sent me that, that copy of Money that he just now recently did for YouTube. And it's like, man you forget like that this guy's voice is like it's like iconic when that guy goes away it's like it's going to be really hard to take because it's an iconic voice it is just it's your friend roger and the way he sings and it's fucking magnificent in its own way maynard he has he definitely has the same sort of signature you know it's maynard when you hear it but it's it's not necessarily pleasant it's you know, it's 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 a it's well, an I instrument, think, and it's not necessarily a um, I don't, maybe operatic is the right word. I, you know, it, which maybe is where the Bohemian Rhapsody thing comes from. Maybe he's like, look, I can do this. Fuck you. You know, I don't I don't know, but yeah. But with Roger Waters, this is a this is a good comparison too, because Roger's voice, if he if he were not a member of Pink Floyd and sang those songs, no one would think anything of Roger Waters' voice. That's true. That's fair. Um, you know, I, I don't think he has a particularly great rock and roll voice, but then you hear those songs and there's no other voice you'd want to hear them with. Right, uh, exactly. You know, it's 100%. perfect. Absolutely perfect for those songs. And and with Roger, and I think the same is with Maynard, it's the words and the message and the way they sing it is so important. Right. Um, it's a way that probably nobody else really could. Um, they just, they make it work, you know, and you can't imagine it with anyone else singing it you know if maynard wasn't around they couldn't just go grab another lead singer and go on tour right right that's true okay uh, while you were sitting here talking about rush a little bit i did dig into wikipedia i think i've got how this changed up okay so Hmm. lateralis come or sorry i'm sorry Inema comes out in like 96 or 97 okay some of the legal battles start right then maynard goes off and does a perfect circle and in the meantime, the other three guys are, are working on music. So I think that what happened to me, it sounds like, is up until that point, it was all four of them in the studio really hunkering down and doing all this work, right? And then yeah. this, you know, and, and then this legal stuff comes up and Maynard's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go do some other stuff. It looks like, because the previous albums, we're looking at like, they started in 89 and like by 92, they had that first record out. A year or a year and a half later, they had Undertow out, which is the first studio record. Uh, about two years later, a year yeah. after that is Inema. And then we're going to 2001. So it's like a four or five year gap of this, this yeah. personal drama hell going on. And it sounds like, it sounds like at that point, maybe that's really what, what caused that shift is it's these dudes who are, you know, making the rush songs, you know, and they're like, this is awesome. Let's make these. And Maynard's like, cool, cool. Yeah. I'll come back and put lyrics on it. You know, I've got these other projects going on or something that were, you know, moderately successful. There are yeah. a lot of side projects where you're like, Ooh man, like I see now what that guy brings to the band and he's going to struggle, man. If there's, if that band ever breaks up, 
you know, um, right. the perfect circle, yeah. like you said, I mean, it, it got radio play. It was a thing. A lot of people didn't even know who Maynard was or that it was from tool, you know, a guy from tool or even who tool was right. It's definitely yeah. different enough that it's not, um, incredibly obvious. Um, and, and there's plenty of fans of perfect circle who do not dig tool and vice versa. Right. Uh, that's interesting too. So it's not just universal. If you go to a perfect circle show, it's just the same people that are at a tool show. Right. Exactly. Although you will have every guy who is the huge, huge tool fan. And let's be clear. It's all guys. Okay. It is all guys all the way down. Um, not, a lot, not a lot of girlfriends. All of the sixteen-year-olds to the forty-year-olds who were sixteen when this shit came out. All of those males in the audience, uh, the ones that are huge, huge, huge Tool fans, will go to all of it. And like his yeah. Pussifer shows, apparently, are awesome. Like he put, he does some costume changes. It is like a, a freaking yeah. experience, supposedly. Um, whereas the Perfect Circle yeah. ones have been, it, you know, I saw them, they, they did another record a few years ago, maybe it's 2017, 2016, and I saw them uh, perform like twice on that tour, Austin and Dallas, like back to back. It sucked, man, seeing them do the, say the exact same thing. Hey guys, we're so glad to be in this city specifically, insert band, uh, city name yeah. here. You know, exact same set list, top to bottom, except for like one song changed out and stuff and just it was just the regular rock show man we we're kind of like man why did i follow this band to another you know another city like i thought <laughs> for some reason but at the same time this is a band that's got two albums worth of stuff right and and they didn't have the visuals that's why i thought it would be different you know i was like ah, oh, these guys can just you know fuck up the set list do what they want sort of pearl jam style tool i'm i'm definitely going to expect from for the entire six show leg that they're going to do to be exactly precisely synced up yes. to how yes. they have these view visuals. It's like a 60 man team running that show, you know, but, uh, right. but yeah, there, I, I think that there's definitely people that don't overlap. Like, you know, the stereotypical tool head is probably either, like we said, the jock or something, uh, hard rock kind of guy or whatever, or the sort of like hipster philosophical douchebag or whatever. And some of those are going to be like, oh, Perfect Circle is like really trashy, just alt-rock garbage, you know, or whatever. And, yeah. you know, whatever. And and same thing with Perfect Circle. There's going to be Perfect Circle band, fans who are, you know, way into bands like, uh, I don't know, gen generic alt-rock, right? The Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, I guess. You know, and all that sort of, I, I would say, like softer, more accessible side of alt-rock and alt uh, alternative music in general you know, you might have a Sarah McLaughlin fan who's a big Perfect Circle fan. Sure. You know, whatever. But a, a Tool person yeah. wouldn't be caught dead even owning surfacing, right? A little less enjoying it or like rumors would be completely, you know, out of bounds, uh, you know, off limits, right? Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, I, I, again, I like Tool. Sure. Um, I recognize what they do is so wildly different. Right. I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, you know, than, than anything else that's out there. I think there. it's worth mentioning. Not, not only am I bagging on the fans, but Maynard regularly bags on the Tool fans quite a bit. Like, it's a, there's a song on Inema that's about it, about somebody telling them that, you know, they've sold out or they've changed or something like this. And it's it, the whole song is about, like, fuck you, man. I sold out before he even made this record. Of course I sold out. That's like how capitalism works, man. You know, or whatever. It's really a great song, but I think that it's uh, 
it's also, I guess, a fairly common, you know, tool, fan, meme, you know, or whatever trope for, you know, to be like, man, I'm on Maynard's side, man. I don't like the tool fans either. It's like, dude, you're the tool fan. I am the tool fan, Jeremy. And I can tell you, tool fans are douchebags. <laughs> I, I just look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, man, fuck that guy. Right. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you can admit that. Um, that you're just you're part of this group, and yep. you know not all your members are upstanding individuals. <laughs> uh, yeah. it's, it's still your group, and you're you're gonna you're gonna own it. Yeah, hundred percent. That's it. So um, I was there's a subject I I, I mentioned earlier uh, that I um, I just I typed it into uh, Google. Okay. And one of the first results was a uh, Reddit posting. Okay. And it says, why won't Maynard James Keenan get naked for us anymore? Okay, interesting. And my question for you is, didn't he have a habit of, like, taking all of his clothes off on stage? So, I know Perry Farrell did of Jane's Addiction. I know that Red Hot Chili Peppers Uh famously do the thing where they had, like, the tube socks around their dicks. I don't know about this. This yes. is actually this is actually news to me. I do know that he, man, like during the Anima tour, he would be running around in like tidy whities with like a fake, big like full bra on that looked like he had tits, and he's like painted head to toe blue and stuff. Then he would flip over to this persona that he used for the sort of the country boner kind of song. It's like hick, like uh, uh, like uh, preacher man, and like do these like you know, religious pulpit style, like speeches and stuff between tool yeah. songs and stuff. That's interesting. So read, more, read me more about this. I'm, I'm not aware. Well, so uh, someone commented and said, um, first time I saw a perfect circle, all he was wearing was a copper colored Speedo. <laughs> That's awesome. So I think this is like a thing. Interesting. I think this is a like thing. yeah. If you look at if you look up for um, live so this, like in so, the so, last 10, 10 years or so, he is still a guy who's like always shirtless. Like that trope, that sort of like you mm-hmm. know late eighties, you know early. I don't know. I guess Led Zeppelin forward, right? And the Who forward, like. Um, but he, I will say this: he's been wearing pants every time I've seen them. But it, but if you look up live. Uh, <laughs> live photos of him especially in the 90s and stuff there's definitely like he's just wearing like i guess a good way to say it is a speedo just hanging out he's... um here's a here's a headline uh for an interview with maynard james keenan in the new york times and the headline is rock review nearly naked guy cloaked in self-confidence and a tattoo <laughs> so this is reviewing a perfect circle show. So again, we have Maynard James Keenan naked with the perfect circle. Um, yeah, it's a it's a thing. It's a thing. Uh, as it were. That's crazy. He seems like an ill fit rock and roll star. He's very very introverted. He's you know uh, sure. very uh, self deprecative, very self aware. Yeah. It seems. Um, and the other guys seem pretty self-aware too, where they're like, they do interviews and they're cool dudes and stuff, but you know, it's, it's guitar magazine, right. In drum magazine. And you know, the, the, as a band, they might be on the Rolling Stone or whatever, uh, the equivalent would be today or whatever, but they're, it, it it's Maynard. It's the, it, the front guy is the guy, right. Is the personality. Yeah. So <clears throat> could, could he replace those other guys and 
Well, I don't know if he could because the Tool fan is a very yeah, exactly. rabid fan. Right. So they would know. Right. It's like the whole Pink Floyd yeah. thing, right? Where people are mad. Like, if Roger's out, it should be over, right? And, you know, and right. now, um, what was what was the good, uh, the keyboardist guy who just died? Richard Wright, right? I think. Yeah, you know, and now it's and they put out like uh, that. What was it called Endless River after that, which you know, to mm-hmm. be fair, had mm-hmm. some tracks that were sort of outtakes and stuff that had Richard Wright on it and stuff. And yeah, I think I think it's very similar to that. Like when one of these guys dies or okay. something, that's when Tool's over. You know. Um, yeah. So another thing that I um, that I've noticed about them is, man, they don't do any press. Yeah, dude. Or uh yep. interviews or yep. like i looked in just rolling stone to see if i could just find kind of a generic you know no, interview with tool and no. yeah they they have um, always i don't know how they accomplish that because they have always like fucked with the press fucked with their fans yeah uh lateralis when it came out it was like 2001 right peak napster and limewire and kazaa and all that and they like i think they actually put leaked songs out there that were complete bullshit, like not even the real songs at all. It's not like tool sounds at all. And, but maybe it was other yeah. people did it, but they, they constantly leading up to the records will mention track names and all this kind of stuff. That's like, not even like a, like sort of, Oh, that was the name of that track. And we renamed it. They're just like fucking with their fans expressly just for the fun of it. <laughs> right. And are, are, are they a band that are, I mean, are they, is that kind of their attitude? Are they kind of one of those? No, fuck the fans. We hate the fans. Or I mean, obviously they're not saying that. Literally, yeah, that, are I, they one I of think those they're. Just, I think they don't really care. I think they have fun with the the generic rock and roll story. I think that, like for example, they don't take the press seriously, which is I feel like a very mature yeah. way to take it because like they're gonna you're gonna get trashed sure. no matter what. You're you're in the light for one minute and then after that everybody loves to trash you and make a name out of themselves, you know, or whatever. And mm-hmm. it seems like somehow they've gotten away with never having to play along. I don't know if that's because they were at the right place, right time. They get to be on a Lollapalooza. They, you know, have a few radio hits that go right or something. I don't know how because my my estimation, I think part of the reason you don't see a lot of interviews is it's hard to get an interview with them. And then when you do, they fuck with you, right? It, it, it's not it's it's not <laughs> yeah. Pete Townsend yet sitting down and be like, all right, let's talk about it all. Like, yeah, man, let's do a whole right. retrospective or whatever. If these guys ever come out with a documentary about themselves, like a some kind of monster thing, it is going to be fucking epic because it's like all like shrouded in mystery at this point. Like, I really don't understand how it works. Like I said, I got some friends who probably do. You know, our mutual friend Corey is way into them. He might know like some of the intricacies, but I, you can only read so much of the noise, the jokes and the humor and the, and the like just fucking with the press and stuff. They're like, ah, oh, whatever, man. It's like fucking Willy Wonka anyway. I, I don't know what's real, right? Uh, yeah, I, I've heard Jimmy Page talk about kind of playing up the mysticism and not doing interviews and people think he's in the occult. Right. And, uh, you know, they purposely never like denied that and, and, you know, never did a lot of, you know, in-depth uh, interviews. And he's, he's tried to keep that up to this day. Like Jimmy Page to this day, pretty sparsely will talk to the press and that mystique and that mysticism, he says like, that's one reason why it's still there. That's true. Because I, I don't, I don't do these things. It, Tool seems like that kind of band, and I wonder 
how like does that change when they get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because they'll they'll get right. into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right? I like, I don't know what they will because in particular Rock and Roll Hall really? of Fame is one of those things where you actually have to pay if you quote unquote win to get in. Yeah. Like you have to like put money in somehow to I don't know what the award ceremony or something. And Tool really impresses me as the kind of place that, band that probably will a never even be in the like quote unquote vote off. Or B, if they are, will trash the fuck out of it, you know, and, and you know, and expose it for what it is. And nobody gives a shit, but yeah. their fans will be like, yeah, fuck whatever they say, fuck, you know, or whatever. Right. Well, they, they wouldn't be the first. I mean, Steve Miller, when he did his induction, like, the induction was fine, but afterwards, like, he ripped into the Rock Interesting. Hall of Fame. Um, when Kiss got in, they ripped into the Rock <laughs> right. Hall of Fame and, re- and refused to right. play. Right. Um, so I yeah no they the, the rock and roll hall of fame is not loved and yeah I could see a band like Tool just yeah. you know, shunning it even if they get inducted and just saying well we're not coming so, <laughs> right um, dickheads yeah, man it, it's that whole and, it's that whole Billy Corgan yeah. Noel Gallagher thing we always talk about where Noel Gallagher's like of course I play the fucking hits why do you think you're there like quit quit like looking at your navel man like it's incredible that anybody yeah. at all wants to come and sh- see like this song that you've made as a part of like the cultural existence of humanity. That's awesome. And Billy Corgan's like, yeah, but I want them to like me for me today. And what I feel about as like a country club, (laughs) you know, dad of a kid who's seven years old. And it's like, no, they don't dude. They don't. That's not, that's how it works. And, you know, I I think for better, for worse tool, like, you know, they're, they're stuck in what their sound is. And that's cool. It's a great sound. And if you're into it, you're really, really into it and stuff, but they, you know, they just they they like man they play for they play for tool right exactly like tool yeah, plays for that's tool. a good way of putting it tool doesn't play for you or right. me like they play for right. them and i guess that's part of the appeal what i can't believe is that this band made it like this band was given enough uh patience by radio yeah to it's to make it well but a it, band that does but, no press man i really cuz like, like I, Rio, oh, I forgot to mention reading this Primus book. It was fucking hilarious. Let me just see. Did I send you this? I don't know if I sent you this. I gotta, I gotta find the exact quote. Give me a second. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> like uh, the the lead singer there, Les Claypool, talks about meeting Maynard, and it's fucking great. Uh, man, I hope it doesn't take too long. Um, Tool and Rage Against the Machine were coming up. So they're like the junior guys of the tour. So I guess apparently they, they toured yeah. with, uh, I think this is, they're talking about Lollapalooza. Could have been actually a Primus tour. But I do remember hanging out with Maynard. He was inviting me to come to his house to see his turkeys. He had a bunch of turkeys at his house for some, re- some reason. I was like, who the hell is this guy? He's always working out backstage. He's this little guy with bad posture, and he's back there pumping iron all day long. I was like, this guy is kind of weird, but they were all great guys. I think that's a great characterization of like, yeah. like what the fuck is this? You know, th- these are this is just some dudes who moved to L.A. to like experience the whatever. I think that Maynard had designs on being in part of Hollywood, like in the movie industry to some degree. Obviously, Adam Jones was. Sure. You know, and, and this kind of was a side thing. I think they both, they all were just kind of artists. And, you know, Adam Jones, obviously with Tom Morello, they, they were just guitar, guitar geeks, right? That's what they did. They played guitar right. and stuff. Danny Carey was like, lived above Maynard. 
uh, I don't know that much about the original basis, but they actually wound up auditioning basis in like 93, 94 when they first one left. And they, they auditioned like Eric Avery uh, of Jane's yeah. Addiction. They, they auditioned a lot of big name guys and this guy um, wound up being their dude or whatever. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, just just kind of a weird thing and i think that what you're saying about like the tolerance for the radio um it's the alt rock thing and here's what i think happened when i think back of it like now reading this primus book too it's like jane's addiction and pixies kind of turned the the grunge way the alt rock way the sort of like let's just blend genres fishbone is another one that comes up a whole bunch which i haven't heard a lot of them um, it, but like these bands that kind of just, you couldn't really necessarily cl- classify them as specifically punk rock or specifically glam or, you know, hair rock or whatever or something. And they kind of were all between these things and really blended these different genres. Right. Those guys come up and they start sort of percolating through the industry. Primus got signed by Interscope. Primus was one of the ones too, where like a lot of people will recognize them as like this really weird, quirky thing that's its own thing, its own sound, this sort of thrashy but bass heavy, weird. It's kind of Metallica, but not. The singer has these real cartoon but sinister style singing and lyrics and stuff. He, he's not even a singer. He wants to just talk through the music and it somehow works, right? Or whatever. Tool yeah. is one of those ones in that rap pack that's coming through. Right and Rage Against the Machine is another one, and there's just sort of these these massive festivals like Lollapalooza that happen, and that gives all of these guys Nine Snails, Tool, Rage Against the Machine, Primus, uh, all of them on and on and on. Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, even a lot of these bands were all on these festival things that kind of was like you know the usual hey you guys can sell one thousand seats or all together you can all sell twenty thousand seats, you know or whatever kind of festival circuits. Then they release that record. It's pretty good. It's very similar to the bins for Radiohead. OK Computer came out in 97. OK Computer changed the fucking landscape, right? That was one of the bands saying, you know what? I can be Pink Floyd. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Fuck the press. Fuck what I'm supposed to be. Fuck the genre. Fuck just being more and more peak grunge rock or whatever the alt pop is. And I think that Radiohead, in in that specific thing pave the way for tool and i'm struggling you could probably mention you, you might have some i'm sure if i think for a second i can think of some other bands who were able to do it too uh you know pumpkins kind of pivoted a little bit sort of electronic uh at the record right after uh okay computer came out and that did okay it didn't do great but i think that that's yeah. what i think that's what set culture up for it is that culture was tired of grunge and was tired of the generic alt sort of rock that had happened and these guys were one of the ones who made the turn around the same time as lateralis came out you have rage against the machines battle for los angeles it comes out i'm not sure if it did better or worse than the other ones but they just they call it quits you know um a lot of bands like basically around 99 2000 they're like this is over like this is i don't know what's going on for it but it's it's done it's peaked all these different ways even limp biscuit and all that shit like that was the the you know the death knell of this there's sort of some link Lincoln park and deftones new metal that kind of bridges across the 2000 early 2000 gaps a little or whatever but it was just like more and more derivative stuff like chapelle chevelle is a band a lot of people reference for if you like tool they're kind of like this and that's another one where it's like they're on the radio for a minute i guess but yeah i think that's how that's how lateralis i think that's how that pivot got to happen 
That's not to say that, like, if OK Computer hadn't come out, they couldn't have done this or, you know, whatnot. I think that I think that the reception to it, though, there was a cultural pivot point with OK Computer. And then with Kid A, which was also, like, extremely inaccessible, right, and just really fucking weird. Yeah. And it was Radiohead saying, we're also not that. Like, OK Computer was great, and we're not doing that again either. Fuck you, right? Um, I think that... Yeah. You know, and and then in my opinion, I, you know, my friend, I have a friend who's way, way into Radiohead and he'd be like, what are you talking about? Every era is very distinct, the way it sounds and stuff. But in right. my opinion, it's been remixes of Kid A the whole time. Just do that kind of thing. They, they've got a bigger textural landscape they can play with, play with or whatever, but it's the same thing over and over. And I feel like Tool did the same kind of pivot. They did Lateralis and they've been able to keep doing Lateralis. There's, you know, I, I made a joke on like my Facebook feed and five or six of my friends instantly got it. When the record came out, a few days later, I posted Lateralis 3.0 and that was it. And my friends were like, I totally agree, you know, or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I, but, but, but there's some benefit to that too because again, their sound does kind of transcend the time. Yeah, um, definitely. And yeah, maybe the first two first two albums are different, but you know, when I hear Lincoln Park, I mean, it's just to me that's just that's early nineties. Yep. Rock late nineties, but yeah. Exactly. Or not early not early nineties. Not early nineties, right. early two thousand. Early yep. Um you know, it's 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 that to me, that's very dated to its yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. And Tool Tool could have been dated to its time, um, if they had ever changed, but they really didn't. And it sounds like they were able to take that sound and make it continue to work, even up to today. I know you said you don't really love the new I, album, but, but I still it sounds like Tool. I mean, I still think that it's that whole starvation thing, though, man. I really do, because like, it does. Like, like I mentioned, the newest one sounds like Lateralist 3.0, and 2.0 came out in 2004 or five when that 10,000 Days record came out, and it's just like, I. I I think that it's starvation. I think it's that people haven't had the six records in between. You know, the Smashing Pumpkins took like a five-year hiatus and the Billy Corgan did his own thing or whatever, supposedly. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then he comes back and uses the Smashing Pumpkins label and like really just like kind of fucks it up hip- hypocritical style where it's just him and like maybe the drummer. And it's just, it, people yeah. have said, oh, the record, the first one that came out would have been great if it had been in the mid-90s or something. And I just I just completely disagree. And that's a band that has like driven its brand into the fucking ground by every two years since then at least putting something out and then you know making all these bold claims that this next record is going to be a return to form and it's so big and it's so whatever and it's going to have six parts or four parts and we're going to release it as EPs they release like one of them this has happened two or three times if you're like not buying it period nobody likes it you know, and the, and the brand, there's just nothing they can do at this point to ever get back to that. And also maybe they're dated to their time, but it, it, there's a saturation thing, right? It's like you were saying about Kiss, yeah. you know, in the 80s or whatever. It's just like it, Kiss is done. It's how it sounds. If you guys want to get back to it, you know, the, that old sound that everybody loves and that's great. And you want to play those hits, but people... Mm-hmm. It, sometimes you can evolve sometimes you can't but i think that you know i maybe like you mentioned maybe they really do look to zeppelin maybe jimmy page is a template they're like yeah man like when it when it's done it's done don't go fucking around and putting out more and more stuff that's like not any good and just take your time right yeah um 
I mean, they, they clearly take their time. I know there were some uh, lawsuits you said in there that is the cause for some of those delays, but right. man, no band. And then Maynard going off on these other projects there. too, right? Yeah. But I mean, this band, they're this, I mean, they're legendary in my mind. They certainly are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they've put out five albums in 30 years. That's crazy, right? Like that's, that's not a lot of output. No. You know, that's, right. <laughs> that's insane. And uh, there is something to, you know, like, yeah, every Major League Baseball game would sell out if they only played one game a month. <laughs> uh, exactly. 100%. You know, there, there certainly is, is something to the mystique that they build. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to get, so like, too kiss about it, but I feel like it's brand management, man. Metallica's the same thing. When Metallica, like, kind of did themselves in and that sort of load, reload, garage ink, you know, that whole right, era, right. like, people are still like, man, Black Album is peak, and if I kind of ignore everything after that, it's great, you know, or whatever. Uh, yeah. I think, I think a lot of it is, like, literally PR, which is funny talking about a band that's like, fuck you to the press all the time, you know, but, like... It's... Well, yeah. I mean, are they are they aware enough? I mean, do you think they are? Um, I, I just wonder is it is it is it apathy or is it calculation? I think it's calculation. They are extremely serious about their music. That's the thing that's weird about it, yeah. right? It's like the they're they're such jokesters and whatever, but they are. It, it is serious business or whatever, and not business in the dollars uh, standpoint, but like just they. They are extremely meticulous, uh, like famously so. And I think that they're, I don't think that they necessarily aim for legacy or whatever, but they, they have legacy and they, they, you know, Led Zeppelin four is out there and they're not going to put out trash, right? They, it seems like they would just rather not do anything at all than do that. But they're, they're definitely not lazy. They're, you know, the trope is really funny, um, there have been memes that you can just reuse for years and years of like, you know, um, the inter the interstellar meme where it's like they're they're on a planet and they're like every second here is seven years on Earth and they're like great we'll wait for the Tool yeah. record here, right or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and Tool like like Adam Jones has an Instagram and he's constantly stoking the fires and Tool is like uh, such a starvation mode thing for all the fans where like everything they say. Yeah, we're working on this record. Everybody's like, oh my God, oh my God. They said they're working on this record. I can tell you the last 10 things I said since those last 10 sentences have happened over the last two years, period, because it's such a like just yeah. radio silence that people are like, oh my God. And like this record, this Fear Inoculum record that came out, like, man, I, I, I know for at least 10 years I've heard, you know, and I'm sure you can look on Wikipedia and see all the bullshit or whatever. I know for at least 10 years I've heard different dates. You know, the end of this year, the end of next year, middle of next year, whatever, just over and over. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of getting back to it. Maynard's finishing up this tour, and then we're going to da-da-da-da. And I don't know if they scrap stuff. I cannot wait for the Tool bio. The the, the Maynard bio was a little bit light yeah. on, like, real music details and in the studio kind of stuff. The sort of behind the music, some kind of monster thing for Tool. God, I would eat that up so quickly, man. I, mm -hmm. I can't wait to see... What is the stuff? But this also that that might be you know contradictory to to obviously how they manage well, their they, band they, anyway. Mean, where yeah, they're like, we're, we're not going to be open about that. That's stupid, it. you know. Yeah, I don't think they would ever do it. Right. They don't sound like the kind of band that would ever do it. Right. Um, it sounds like if you're a you know you ask sometimes, is it easy to be a fan of this band? No, it is not easy. Right. To be a fan definitely of this not. Band. Like they no, they have. Not. 
Um, they don't have a lot of material out there about them. They don't do press. They don't tour a lot. They have songs that are very long and slow to start. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like you, it takes real dedication to to be a fan of this band. Like you got to be really into it. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. However, uh, and I'm, I think this is a good way to uh, kind of end it, end the uh, episode. Let me try and see if we have anything that we uh, kind of usually cover. Well, you know, would I trade bank accounts with these guys? Yes, any one of them, of course. Right, I, definitely. They seem like they seem the kind of guy that, guys that have been good with their money. Definitely. Um, can't can't kick anybody you know, out. That's one of the things. Who would you kick no, out? Like, that sounds really important. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can't. I would say if anybody could be kicked out, honestly, it's Maynard. The music is the other three dudes, wow. and you could have somebody. Okay. You know, you had, uh, what was it, Chester Binningham? did audio slave or, yeah. or what was it uh, stone temple pilots or something and it and i think it, it wound up being okay or something i think that it, it, out of those guys that would be it because every one of them is such a strong musician such a strong personality that it like it shows the sound is those three guys actively playing it's not one of them taking a break and yeah. kind of just dun 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 while other people are going and carrying the music ever it is always like this crazy yeah. uh group effort um so that's my opinion yeah um yeah so no wouldn't kick anybody out would definitely trade accounts <laughs> with uh, with any right. of them um what what do you do while listening yeah, i think we covered that i personally i recommend it is uh road trip by yourself in the dark that's yeah. uh, mountain yeah. passes in the dark would be great. Just just sort of chill out. You're not driving through the city. You're just kind of out there, you know, wh- where you've heard like it's the place to smoke opium or whatever. It's it's yeah. that kind of experience. I gotta imagine it's it's pretty good when when you're uh, high on weed. I gotta imagine if somebody's like tripping, it'd be pretty crazy. I don't know though. I don't. They're 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 pretty like you know, psychedelic friendly and psychedelic uh, positive, but I don't, I don't know. I, I hadn't messed with those myself, so I'm not sure, but definitely in my sure. opinion, it's not daytime music. It's nighttime music. It's personal. Oh, yeah. It's loud. It's, uh, oh, yeah. it's very introspective. Um, so yeah, that, yeah. That, that's what I would do. I definitely am not going to be uh, doing the dishes to it. There, there's a there's a funny meme out there that's like a picture of like sort of the Leonardo da Vinci body, like the human guy in the circle thing. And, it's, and it has like a tool logo over his head, you know, and like a perfect circle logo over his heart and then Pussifer over the dick. And it's it's uh, <laughs> it's funny, but it's I think it's a fairly accurate take on sort of what as far as Maynard's projects it's a very yeah. a, a very fair uh, sort of you know description of what it is. The 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 Pussifer stuff is very very like just a testosterone, I guess, and, and comedy yeah. and you know like like the equivalent to like hair rock or something back in the days. And um, Perfect Circle tends to be mostly emotional uh, about relationships about. Um, love and loss and stuff and i think that lateralis from tool is is kind of that it seems to be a lot about relationships in particular but especially Ten Thousand days and the latest record like just totally philosophy of like the sort of what the human experience is how it's bullshit how it's great how we can transcend who we are or whatever mm-hmm. very very intellectual you know uh 
you know, and maybe pseudo intellectuals a better word. <laughs> yeah, no, but I see what you mean. Like, I just don't see a lot of frat boys pounding Budweisers listening to Tool. Right. Right. Um, it just you you have to be kind of on a different. I don't want to say smarter, but just you kind of have to be <laughs> operating at a bit of a different uh, frequency. Level. Not a not better or worse, just a kind of a different level. Right. Um, right. Definitely. To be yeah, really into it. Yeah, I think so. I think so. That, that being said, like you said, there's sort of a there's a dearth of the amount of stuff that's out there and whatnot. We talked about sort of if we trade bank accounts and uh, sort of when to listen to it and stuff. I think that given given that there's not a lot of tool, it's still a yeah. deeply rewarding thing if you are into them. There's a lot of online stuff about them, a lot of a lot of products that have been put out. And then there's all these side projects that Maynard's got, right? Perfect Circle, you can go all the way down. There's there's DVDs that have uh, like funny one-off like little mini movie that they made for a couple of the songs. They've got remix records. They got records that just covers all these cool like um, sort of uh, war songs and stuff that were kind of like anti-war. And this happened around the time of like sort of the Iraq invasion thing. The first two uh, Perfect Circle records are pretty solid. Perfect Circle and Pucifer tour pretty regularly. So we're talking about Tool kind of doing a couple of shows a year. Every time he puts right. a push of a record out, man, he does the thing. He does 15, 20 dates, which is pretty cool, especially given it's supposedly a pretty great show. Um, there's a book about Maynard called uh, Contrary Union, uh, A Union of Contrary Things, or something like that. Um, okay. Instagram-wise, Alex Gray, the guy who does the awesome artwork. Um, yeah. That's G-R-E-Y. He has a great Instagram. He has a few books out that have some of the artworks actually used in 10,000 Days. I'm not sure about Fear Inoculum being in those books yet or whatever, but like, and these are affordable books. A lot of times you get like a photographer's book or something, it's $100 because there's just not a huge demand. You can get on Amazon, get this guy's books for 30 bucks, and they are a trip. They're, it's one of those things where like you feel like you sometimes look at album art or you can especially picture our parents looking at an LP and looking at that art while they're listening to music. I feel like that those books would be a pretty good fucking accompaniment to this or any kind of sort of psychedelic music. Really, really cool artwork. Very, uh, yeah. very um, intricate, I would say. Very attention to detail. Yeah. Crazy stuff. And the, the really cool thing is um, there's one that's like this uh, inside of 10,000 Days. There's a there's like a pillar looking thing. It's like these heads on like these sort of like Roman pillars. The artwork is really cool. It looks like it's digital. I don't think it is. There's a picture of him standing by it. It's this thing that's like six feet tall and like 12 feet wide painted thing it is incredible when you yeah. look at the picture i'll send you it offline here afterwards you're like wait a minute like this isn't something he procedurally generated he like painted this thing it's awesome yeah. that's a really great artist anyway alex gray he's yeah. got an instagram Maynard regularly posts stuff through the Pucifer Instagram, sometimes serious, mostly joking all the time. Pretty good yeah. news source. There's a tool band uh, Instagram and there's a tool band website that are almost always completely like useless, like except for tour <laughs> dates. I wouldn't take anything that they say as gospel. Adam Jones, the guitarist, he I think it's Adam Jones TV on Instagram. Pretty prolific, pretty cool. Not a lot of like behind the scenes stuff. Once in a while, he'll just post like a little 10 second clip of them recording something or whatever. Yeah. But, but it, like a lot of family pictures and stuff or whatever. But he, it's, a, it's a fairly good mix. It's not a whole bunch of, hey, I'm out here having brunch with like, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, Gene Simmons or something like that. But it's <laughs> it's it's pretty interesting. I, I would write it pretty yeah. highly. I don't follow the other two. I'm not sure if they're more introverted or they actually have Instagrams. But I will say this. Compared to Maynard, Adam is the next most talkative, I think. And then Danny Carey is definitely talkative, but he's he's always very technical about the drums, which is yeah. crazy, which which makes sense. This guy's got like a 30-piece drum kit or something. Uh, the Primus guy did like some song with him and he was telling talking about how fucking ridiculous it was where the guy has like <laughs> his own studio that's kind of got like a, a barn next to the studio and he's like all of the fucking boxes for this guy's drums filled this huge gap between these two buildings. We had to go walk around another way around the property, <laughs> right? Uh, it was just insane. And he's like, he's drumming on one track, right? Or whatever. Um, wow. I mentioned earlier the CAD live video, CAD, is yeah. pretty priceless. I think it's sort of like a generic alt rock thing. And it's just like something about Maynard himself just makes it really cheesy. He's he's just as serious <laughs> and mad and stuff. And especially given the Primus uh, characterization of him like pumping iron all the time. <laughs> he yeah. looks like that guy. Uh, just this little wiry guy who's like, I'm going to be a big guy. But he's not really. There's, um, there's a box set that they put out between Lateralis and... Um, or maybe between Inema and Lateralis called Salival. That's really rare, um, but you can get the video and stuff on YouTube and the songs. And it was a two-disc thing. One of them is, I think, a live DVD. I've never even seen the DVD part of it, but the CD is really great. It has that cover of No Quarter that I mentioned. It has three or four live songs. Uh, one of them is uh, a cover of the bassist's uh, first band called Peaches, and the song is called You Lied, which is really awesome, really haunting. And they have a like classic version of a song called Push It, which is also on Inema, mm-hmm. but uh, that, su- that cover is real slowed down, lateral style, or that cover, sorry, that version of the song really fucking awesome and that's just tool we talked about perfect circle having several records and all kinds of stuff pucifer then has like five records and tons of little eps he'll do that it's like impossible to track down all of the crap some of it's very hard to find there's a great uh sound into wine or wine into sound or something uh video that's on amazon prime that's a great documentary just about Maynard's wine trip and like the guy that he works with and stuff and it's literally a documentary about a winery it has a little bit about him but it's mostly about like work ethic and how awesome and how hard it is to run this business and how long it takes to pay off and it's crazy people people a lot of people don't like it because it's just about wine it's not about tool it's not about perfect circle or whatever um yeah very very cool the soundtrack to that thing is the best part about it and they made like not enough copies it's not streamable you have to go get each track off youtube and rip it somehow but it's like the best versions of of uh Pusifer. there's a song called sour grapes that's like a very religious song it's like a gospel song of people's talking about you know it's always going to be sour grapes for you boy until you find get right with jesus and he has these like three versions on that soundtrack. One of them is this like televangelist preacher version of himself doing a radio show. And his topic is, where's the line? And he's like, where's the line anyway? You know, like what's good and what's really bad? And like somebody calls in and goes, I've got a, I've got a caller here. It's a sister brother. She wants to know, can I sniff the line? Can I get right up to the line? And he's like, <laughs> oh, yes, you can get right up to that line. There's no problem with that. Just don't cross that line. Don't cross that line. It's fucking great. There's another version of it or something like that on there where they have a country version of one of his songs where um, uh, uh, 
Maynard in his country persona is singing with uh, the girl that he has in Pussy for a lot. And he's just asking her, he's like, hey, have you ever heard about how Jesus turned grapes into wine? And she's like, yeah, I have. That's pretty awesome. He's like, well, you know what? I think that if we had Jesus here, we could put, we could kick this you know, punk rock uh, concert up a notch. What do you think? And the whole crowd screams, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, you know what, Hildy? I bet you if Jesus were here tonight, we could get him to turn that awful spinach dip of yours into cocaine. What do you think? And it's just like completely <laughs> heretical, like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy is saying this. And the crowd's going wild. So this is... The Pucifer thing can be very rewarding. And then at the same time, there's crazy, like, uh, real, like, drum and bass and electronic kind of stuff mixed in there. So it can be kind of maybe a little bit for everybody. I personally have some playlists where I've pulled out some of the songs that I like the best, and that's my Pucifer record or whatever. But uh, yeah. Maynard is extremely prolific um, and, and a rewarding person to follow if you can go through all the Wikipedia links and find out all his little projects and stuff. Very, very rewarding. And that's where you find all the stuff that, that, that fits in the middle of Tool not doing records for 10 years. All that time, Maynard's been releasing stuff with other bands and whatever. Um, and then finally, I would say, um, if you're starting to get into Tool, uh, there's also the Reddit, which is really, really prolific. I had to unfollow it after Fear Inoculum because just people are posting all the time. There's a huge <laughs> online community, and there's not a lot to talk about, like we've talked about, obviously. There's there's really not a lot of news about Tool over time. Um, related bands and projects. Rage Against the Machine. If you're into Tool, you'll probably be into Rage Against the Machine. Sure. Uh, yeah. Ashes Divide is Billy Hollowardale's side project thing that he did a solo record that's pretty good. Uh, Maynard has does pretty good interviews with Joe Rogan. Anything where you can find a Maynard interview that's more than like an hour long or say even more than half an hour long, especially in the last five or ten years, will be pretty mature and pretty like... Uh, philosophical in nature or talking about the yeah. wine or talking about sometimes even the music business and stuff doesn't really delve into the details of maybe you know bands interpersonal relationships and such but uh he's a great interviewer now now that he's older and he's he's very serious and like you said it's very rare but you can find quite a few interviews online and in particular he's got a couple of those two or three hour joe rogan podcasts that are just him and joe rogan talking shit you know or whatever yeah. uh pretty great um uh, some other things, if you're, if you're into kind of how much it changed or sort of their style in general, uh, Radiohead, Primus, Jane's Addiction, White Zombie is very similar in a lot of ways. Chevelle, uh, uh, one of my favorite pa uh, post-rock bands, Caspian, has a record called Tertia, T-E-R-T-I-A, very much like Tool, without the singing. Yeah. Uh, Depeche Mode, I gotta believe, is uh, some amount of influence on these guys. Nine Inch Nails is very similar. Nine Inch Nails... Uh, plus tool basically in equals Pucifer slash a perfect circle. A lot of genesis of those projects kind of was from a, a project called Tapeworm that didn't go anywhere between them. Obviously Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. I asked a friend, he said Meshuga, King Th Crimson, uh, Kios, uh, Dream Theater. Um, and then I would say Deftones. Maynard uh, guested on one of the tracks for the Deftones once. Uh, and I would say, I guess Queens of the Stone Age too is another one that's like, these are not all bands sounds like Tool kind of bands, but these are contemporaries that if you're into them, and especially if you're into the different albums they have, the philosophical long songs versus the sort of pop songs that were still like dark and intellectual, but not a little bit more accessible. And especially if you're into the Perfect Circle blend over, uh, all those bands are, you know, probably right up your alley as well. Yeah. 
Okay. And that's, uh, I think that's it, man. I mean, we've, we've gotten, we're sitting here at two hours talking about Tool. And I'm, I'll be honest, man, we got about 45 minutes in and I was struggling. I'm I, <laughs> I, I'm not the guy, I, which is crazy because I, I do, I have notes and notes and notes here. But it's just kind of because they're prolific. There's a lot of facts, you know, these side projects and stuff that have happened. But it's, you know, it's it's a band that made some music, did some, did, got started getting on the charts, was able to pivot, uh, had some lawsuits kind of hanging him up. In the meantime, one of the guys was like, fuck it, I'll go do some other stuff. Uh, and that that prolific, you know, sort of uh, side project stuff Maynard's done has been really rewarding um, if you're into it, if you like the stuff he does. And it's kind of hit or miss in my personal opinion. Um, but, you know, Tool, the legacy, I really don't think people are going to remember Pucifer in 30 years except for you know, you and me, because we've heard of it. And we've heard the genius of Country Boner, for example. But, you know, Tool is going to be the Led Zeppelin, one of them of our time, right? Nirvana level something that is going to, regardless of their actual record sales, is going to stand the test of time of being like late 90s, early 2000s, like heavyweight, right? Right. Um, So I guess... You addressed this already when I was like, they'll they'll get in the rock and roll hall. Yeah, sure. Right? Like they're 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 legendary enough and um you weren't entirely sure about that um as to whether or not they would get in. Um I, I don't remember your reasons, but you know, they're not very prolific. They don't put out a lot of stuff. They're not kind to the press right. at all. Uh and you kinda have to play a game to get in the rock and roll hall of fame and they don't want right, to play that right. game. Um but man, just a quick Google search, and they show up on a lot of lists of you know these bands should be in the Rock and yeah. Roll Hall of Fame. Like they show up on a lot of right. Pops, I think that just uh, I think I think it's like the Grammys. The Grammys too is another one where it's like it's the rock industry, and there's some people that are in it for art, and there's some people that are you know I guess that do play the game that are very business friendly. You know, uh, Trent Reznor is uh, when we start getting into him. He's one who yeah. is constantly one foot in and one foot out, where he'll he'll get just get wooed over again. He's got to have some kind of traumatic past when he was young, where he trusts people or something, because like he did this crazy thing where Queens of the Stone Age and Nine Snails played a song where they blended over to each other, and Lindsey fucking Buckingham was playing with them while it's going on, and the Grammys cut the thing short like two wow. minutes in. And, and Terrence was like, we're never doing it again. We're never doing Grammys, period. I said, fuck you, like 10 years yeah. ago. I don't know what I was thinking. This is forever, right? And I think that, and like Tool won a quote-unquote heavy right. metal Grammy last year for Fuller Noculum. And I'm like, I, I didn't. Yeah. I don't watch the Grammys, or I haven't seen it in years and years since I was young. Like, was there another band in that category? I, You know, I... Well, I was going to say, maybe they won by default because I couldn't name another heavy metal album. Right, last exactly. Year. So, and, and they did. The, the couple, a, couple, a couple of guys showed up. I think it was the drummer and the guitarist, and they, you know, said thanks and whatever and stuff. And I think that, you know, I think that to some degree there's a PR cycle in general, right? You got you to gotta make nice. The record company's like, come on, guys, like, at least just just be civil. Maybe you don't have to do a lot of interviews, but let's, let's get this tour cycle. You know, to be pretty smooth or something. Maybe I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think I see rock and roll thing. I think I think anything that's like that. I mean, I think the Grammys is a great example of it. Maynard didn't even go, right? So, wow. So he just 
Yeah, he seems like the kind of guy who who um, right. He's gonna do what he wants to do, and now I can see him doing something hilarious like Country Boner. You know what I mean? Like doing something really, really raunchy and wrong on one of those shows, sort of like a takedown of all of it, right? Like mocking it and stuff or whatever. He's definitely that guy. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like, like. I don't know enough about Led Zeppelin, but Pink Floyd strikes me as the same kind of similar thing. And Radiohead definitely has like a fuck you attitude about all of this stuff. Anything that's like, you know, the mainstream, the way music works, quote unquote, that like hails from, you know, record contracts a thousand years ago, taking taking advantage of artists who make no money and stuff and whatnot. I, I think they're in that camp where it's just kind of like, we don't have to. We've been lucky not have yeah. not to have to. And they're old now where they're not so fuck you, but they're just basically opt out, I think. You know, so Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in particular, I don't know if they're going to be in that thing. But, I mean, it's the same thing as, like, going to, you know, the Dr. Pepper Museum in Texas. Like, I'm sure the information you get in Dr. Pepper is pretty, like, over the top of, like, man, this invented soda or whatever. And you get on Wiki and you're like, yeah, you know, it's it's one of them. And this had a high influence on it and that had a high influence on it and whatnot. I, I think that, like, right. it would be cool to see, like, the tribute. That's the cool thing about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing, right? Trent Reznor gave a big speech for the Cure one. It was like, man, this is fucking great. Uh, and so, in so far as that, maybe it's fan service yeah. or whatever, but they're not a huge fan service band. But I think also they just have a big... A big rebellious streak about uh, the record industry and the music industry and the way it works. They, they were one of the last bands. They outlasted the fucking Beatles yeah. in terms of getting on the streaming websites. They they were on the streaming websites last year, like weeks before Fear Inoculum came out. The Beatles had been on for two or three years, and they were also famously holding off of like, we're not going to be on Spotify. We're not going to be on any streaming websites. You can't even buy the music on Apple's iTunes, you know, or whatever. Um, right, right. Yeah, and they yeah. strike me as that kind of a band. Like, like they don't, they don't strike me as a band that needs money. Right. At all. They act like. And they I think don't that's true. I mean, Maynard, Maynard, I presume, uh, is turning and, a profit. Oh, that's one thing I forgot to mention. Uh, in that town in Arizona, it's near Sedona, where his thing is. If you're going to Sedona, which is kind of a popular touristy place to go, kind of get away with the wife or whatever, about thirty minutes away or an hour away, he's got this little like Pucifer store that's like. It's kind of underwhelming. And then he's got like a really cool high-end like wine store that's like you can go in there and chill out and they'll be playing music. They don't play Tool specifically and you suffer the problem of walking in there and people being like, I want you to play this Tool song or whatever. Uh, Jane and I happened to go up there uh, a couple years ago when we were kind of out in the area. We went and checked it out and we went there around the time it closed and one of the barkeeps was talking to us because I guess we seemed chill enough to them about how they had had some Karens that came in that day and demanded certain songs be played and wanted to know if they would meet Maynard and stuff. And it's like, dude, that guy is nowhere near this place, even when he's in town. I guarantee you he makes those fucking employees come down or over the hill or whatever to his house to talk to him, if ever, you know, or whatever, right? Um, but but it's a kind of a cool yeah. trivia thing. Like if you're in that area, there's kind of like he's got a lot of autograph memorabilia you can buy for way too much money and whatever, a bunch of tour posters and stuff that you can buy that maybe you can get them online through Tools website. I don't think so, but um, that's kind of a cool experience too. It's it's not worth the trip, but 
if you're there, if you're in that area or whatever, and you're kind of driving through Arizona, listening to Tool in particular, uh, take a left on the way to Sedona and go up to Jerome. It's 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 all right. It's a cool little Airbnb kind of town. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I I like the idea that Maynard James Keenan. Like, <laughs> I, I really, I think that I, I know you're not into Tool, but I really would recommend you watch that. It's called like Sound into Wine or Sound into Blood into Wine. It is a really, I think it makes you feel it, it's similar yeah. to some kind of monster. It really humanizes him. You, you, you're like, man, yeah, no, and it really, it, but in a good way or a bad because some kind of monster. I don't think because some kind of monster right, exactly. made Lars look like an asshole right. like, with his champagne. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. And, I wouldn't. I uh, wouldn't. I wouldn't say this doesn't do that to Maynard. I mean, Maynard is an asshole, I think. Like, you know, fundamentally. He's he's highly opinionated. <laughs> he's very neurotic. He's very meticulous. He's does whatever the fuck he wants. He's unapologetic. He's unrepentant. He's, you know, all of the stuff. But that's yeah. but he's a great artist, right? A lot of the great artists are not clean, right? Yeah. And aren't kind of play the game very well because they're not good at participating, right? Um and, uh, right. but at the same time, it is, it's very, very refreshing. He has like, in a, again, this is probably something that a lot of people will be turned off by, but he's got like a, there's a random, if you look him up on YouTube, there's a thing that's basically about how to work, like what a work ethic is like. And it's him talking for like 30 minutes and guiding people around his winery and about how like, you know, and more or less like that the tool thing is lucky, but like, you know, <laughs> like what really fulfills him is, you know, you know, I guess connecting with nature or whatever and stuff, but like doing actual work, not just like lip service to it and stuff, which is interesting. And I think that that's the same. That's the cool thing about that uh, documentary is like, it's, it's like 70% about him and 30% about his partner. Who's some dude who's like a real wine dude, like a degree in it. And like, can tell you about all the weird shit in the soil that makes it this way or that way. And how certain things are named this and for this Valley in Italy where they're grown or France or whatever, because that's the only place in the world, these particular kinds of grapes can grow. And these ones that they're doing in this certain area of Arizona, they can do it here and they can do it one mile over. And it's totally different. There's a lot of crazy weird trivia, but at the same time, it's a really great like documentary of like, you know, they have a part where Maynard goes down the hill to L.A. And he's like, I hate this town, but I've got to be here to, like, give you guys this wine and kind of, like, do a PR tour of it. And I thought of, I used to live here for five years and thought better of it. And maybe some of you will, too, you know, or whatever and stuff. He is, he is way wow. anti-L.A. And I think, I think anti, like, society at large, I think. You know, there's there's a great song that opens Ten Thousand Days called Vicarious that was that was a radio song. I don't know how many times it's been played because it's kind of real hard. It's ten minutes, you know, it's it's a long song. But it's about people living vicariously, yeah. watching the TV, watching people be blown up or hurt or um starving to death and just being kind of sitting getting sort of getting off to it, just sitting on your couch being like, Yeah, this is good entertainment. Like how detached are we as a culture from what the real human experience even is, and especially when things are really, really dark and, and corrupt and fucked up, and we're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, the, the TV's still working, you know, or whatever. Um, I think that's a good characterization yeah. of his sort of... It's not anti-capitalism or something. It's just, you know, the, the humanity as a virus kind of vibe. Um, so. they're, they're very much... I mean, that's that's the same attitude as Rage Against the Machine. I Absolutely. Think, right? Definitely. Like, but, but Tool doesn't seem as overtly political. Exactly. Rage Against the Machine really quantifies, specifically, 
you know, or did quantified sort of specifically capitalism as the problem, right? Or these certain mechanisms in capitalism are the problem or whatnot. And and tools definitely more abstract and sort of the, you know, it's it's the armchair philosopher. Maybe I think it's I think it's a safer position. This tool to me. They they're not as overtly political right. as I, I don't as know rage. I don't know if you'd call it more mature or not but it's like it's yeah. like they've taken I feel like a safe position and maybe it doesn't date them quite as much but they have like yeah. the same thing as what happened at least for me and I think for a lot of religious people who wind up sort of changing or choosing against the religion that they're maybe you know indoctrinated into being like wait a minute there is a moral standard right there is something that is overarching for sure. Maybe there's supernatural beings, maybe there's not, but there's an overarching sort of be good to one another. And what is the purpose of life? Life is fleeting. Life is short. How do we do it well? You know, or, or is there like higher spirits in ourselves that are going to transcend and go to nirvana in these kinds of things? I think that that tool is like that look of like as a species, as like a microscope looking at us from like the universe we are nothing and like what matters like what when you look at it that transcendental beyond the human experience way what are the topics that matter right or whatever whereas rage yeah. of the machine is like you said very very um very very on the nose very anti-establishment specifically western capitalism america in particular yeah. and whatever and that's fine i mean that's that's punk rock right i mean that's uh is oh, it woody yeah. guthrie the guy that has that guitar that says um uh, this uh, this machine kills fascists or whatever. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, Tom yeah. Norella has that written on his guitar and has had it on there all the time forever, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And it, it, it is what it is. There's, there's the Bob Dylan sort of political stuff and there's the Led Zeppelin that's kind of, like you said, a little bit like um, uh, Rush where like some of it's kind of serious, maybe not. It sounds like more like a mystique, an interest in yeah. kind of like a cult a little bit. And then there's kind of the Pink Floyd thing where... You know, some of it, people don't like the wall or the final cut or amused to death because it comes becomes more and more on the nose rather than some of the music being just kind of this crazy, like, mind trip experience or something. And Tool is like really going to philosophy class versus going to church, right? Or versus going to an economics class. Economics class is Rage Against the Machine, right? That's economics. Yeah. And Tool is going to a theology school that's going to teach you all of the different religions and the things that bind them and the things that separate them. Um, and I don't know if that's a safer position or a more mature position, or it's like just kind of armchair occult, like 101 from following in Zeppelin's footsteps. But, but that's kind of what it is, in my opinion. Well, I yeah, you're, you're, you're right. And I think it's, you know, with Tool, if... If I'm gonna, if I want to know what they're angry about, I really gotta listen. Yes, I really gotta pay attention. That's true. And that's with, true. With, with rage, it's like ah, fuck the government. <laughs> you know, they just <laughs> right. Those who wear clothes of white are the same who you know uh, join forces or whatever. It's, like, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty clear. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's just it's just a different a different route to get there, and not everyone does. I mean, Tom Petty. Um, uh, has said like he sometimes doesn't care for the song I Won't Back Down because it's just too literal it's right. way too literal right. and there's no interpretation of the lyrics it just is what it is yeah. uh, Tool you could almost choose your own adventure sometimes there are um, I, I looked up one of the songs because I thought that it was about because um, he apparently was like had an, uh, like a molestation experience when he was young like one of the Catholic school Catholic church you know pedestrian regular old things or whatever and 
there was a song in particular that I looked at. I was like, I thought this one was about that. And I'm not really sure now because there's, like you said, like you go, they literally have Quora, the Q-U-O-R-A, like, you know, sort of ask and get answers website. And people are just like, the interpretations of this particular song are like seven different ways of, no, it's about this and this. And he says the word 11 and that's when his mom got the aneurysm and everything went weird and blah, blah, blah. And it's like... I, I don't know. And at the same time, there's a song, when you listen to the song, there's just kind of like a, a longing and a feeling of childhood innocence being lost, even if you can't really figure out what exactly it's talking about or, or if we never really know. It's, it's a good personification of that feeling and that experience, even yeah. though it's unclear, right? Right, right. <clears throat> well, man. Man, I did not think Tool would... Uh, yeah, but this is... This is a big one. That's pretty cool. But I, let's, uh, I guess, set up the next one, which is uh, you're talking about doing maybe a four-parter on Metallica. Yeah. Um, do we want to start that one next? I think so. I think so it'd be great. Be... All right. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week.